Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Aaron and Patricia. My name is Patricia. And my name is Aaron. And today on the show, we're going to be going over the Oscar nominations for 2024. The first episode of the Fairy Old Pellerins reboot has been leaked online. The entire Sandy Cheeks movie has been leaked online. Uh, rumors of Nintendo Switch 2 and his games have been released. Um, Saturday Night Live is going to finally get a movie about its early years. A uh, trailer of the indie game RZ's The Jewel of Faramore, a special success of Zelda ZDI games, has been released. Uh, WWE will be premiering on Netflix on on January 2025. Soul releases in theaters resulting in dismal box office performance. Matt Pat from Game Theory is quitting being a full-time content creator. Pokemon is investigating Powell Wolf for potential IP infringement. Larry David is forced to apologize to someone during a Bonkers Today Show segment. And in our spoiler section, we're going to give you our thoughts on Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur episodes 1 and episode 2. You're listening to Aaron and Patricia on the 5th of February of 2024. We have some very exciting news, and that is that uh, there's a reason why uh, I'm actually in the US, uh, as we said in the previous episode, and that is uh, me and Patricia are now officially married. Yes, we are. It's amazing to think that uh, after all the years that we've known each other, and after all the years of us doing podcasts together, that we are officially husband and wife. Yeah, it's just, it's been a long time coming for me and Patricia. And by the way, we want to say a shout out to everybody who's been so supportive of us, you know, throughout this podcast, and uh, because uh, we originally Darren and Patricia when, uh, I think it was somewhere near the beginning of when we actually started our relationship and uh, you know it was like it was our little space for like you know for us to move in together and you know we'll be able to talk and because uh, the one thing about this long distance relationship that's been pretty difficult for us is that we don't get that much time to kind of like talk with one another and uh, you know we don't get a chance to like, you know spend time with one another we don't go to the you know the movie theater and uh, we don't go to be able to do things that you know normal other couples get to do and so Aaron and Patricia effectively has been our special place yeah, and, uh, it's, the, it's the closest thing that we've ever gotten to be together on a weekly basis other than just calling each other on the phone or talking to each other on Skype or Zoom or FaceTime or anything like that. So it was essentially our gateway into just catching up with things. Yeah, and sooner or later we actually will be in the same house together. So mm-hmm. uh, that's going to be an exciting thing for us. So uh, we'll let you know more about that as uh, things go along. All right. So. so, our top story, the Oscar nomination. So, yeah, there's been a lot of uh, things going on over the past few weeks on Aaron and Patricia. We've covered the Golden Globes. We've covered the BAFTAs. We've covered the Emmys. And, of course, uh, the recently, the Grammys just happened as of last night, where various people such as Taylor Swift and Billie Eilish won a whole bunch of Oscars. And, yeah, I, I guess that, um, you know, as we mentioned uh, over, I think, like a few weeks ago, that this is award season so what better way to kind of like end things off with the exception of the kids choice awards which will be happening in the next few months to go over the 2024 oscar nominations and see if uh, it's very similar to the nominations that we read throughout the emmys and the golden globes and the BAFTA. so yeah let's see according to the oscars which movies and which actors and actresses and cinematographers etc are being highlighted this year <clears throat> okay, so uh, we're going to start off with Best Picture, uh, yes. at least in my list. So uh, the uh, nominees are The Holdovers, um, American Fiction, The Zone of Interest, Barbie, Oppenheimer, Poor Things, Past Lives, Atomy of the Fall, Maestro, and uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. So once again, Barbie and Oppenheimer are going to be squ- going to be uh, squaring off basically for Best Picture, which is yeah. going to be like the big one. Yeah, it seems that these two movies, I mean, would you ever expect a Barbie movie? movie to be Best Picture in an Academy Award nomination. Well, I mean, like, you and I have watched the Barbie. 
Barbie movie yes, now. Yes, we and have. So, I mean, whether we're going to do something about it or not, we'll let you know about in the future. But, uh, I mean, it doesn't surprise me now that, uh, you know, Barbie, I think, it has such a strong message. And, you know, Margie Roberts, uh, you know, portrayal of Barbie, I think, is uh, also, I think, is very stellar as well. And, uh, you know, the supporting cast, I think, also, I think, uh, deserve a definite nod. And uh, definitely shout out to Ryan Gosling as well. Yeah, and, uh, Ryan Gosling, American Ferreira, uh, Will Ferrell, Rhea Perlman. Like, there are so many amazing actors and actresses that are in this movie. And it's about freaking Barbie, of all things. <laughs> well, I mean, like, uh, I mean, the Barbie movie was a long time coming, don't you think? Like, sure. You know, we, we've been, like, you know, uh, inundated, like, all these, like, 3D, you know, very cheaply made Barbie movies, which officially has, like, you know, uh, you know, a 6 to 11 demographic, or even lower than that, probably, you know, in regards sure. to that. So, like, uh, I mean, we've never really had, like, the proper Barbie movie. And uh, now that we finally had it, and uh, now it finally, it was basically, it was put in the right hands. I think we could all agree. Yeah, yeah. Gr- uh, Greta Gerwig, as you guys know, who did, like, various other films like Little Women, you know, you would think that, um, you know, she would be a perfect person to kind of, like, handle something like this. I mean, she did a great job adapting a classic novel that has been known for centuries and now, you know, coming in to do Barbie. And she did a fantastic job. It's just a shame that she's not one of the directors nominated. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, but, we'll get uh, to I mean, that in a minute. Yeah. By the way, I mean, like, we all talk about Ryan Gosling also later on in the show as well. But uh, the the thing I would say about this is that uh, I think, you know, it was highly anticipated. I think Mattel knew that they didn't just want to, like, make a movie. I think that was basically just going to, like, you know, uh, you know, do a ton at the box office and, you know, give little in return. I think uh, Mattel have actually been very smart about this and they decided, yeah, we're going to create something. I think not only is going to get a lot of people shouting a lot of Barbie fans excited, but I think it's also going to basically be a contender for the Oscars. And I think they spared no expense, yeah. I think, in regards to this. Because what was the budget again for, for Barbie? It was like, a, it was, a, I think it was over the $200 million it mark, was. I think. Well, yeah, like, and you can see the, the, the money was on the screen. Yeah. Like, look at the, the, the one thing I'll definitely say is that, you know, when we were talking about the BAFTAs, we were talking about like other award ceremonies and hair and makeup, they, Barbie didn't make it. No. Which, you know, like, you, you, you look at all the practical effects and like everything that they did in that movie, and you would have thought, you know, they would have at least got like you know, at least a nod, if not like a win or anything exactly like that. Exactly like that, yeah. Now, as for Oppenheimer, again, it's not too much of a surprise that Oppenheimer is in this list as well, especially since they dominated the Golden Globes. And I, I think, think they, probably, they should at least walk away with at least one Oscar at least. They're going to walk away with at least maybe three or four. I mean, we have, you know, um, we have, I think they'll do really well with adapted screenplay because it is an autobiography based off of J. Robert Oppenheimer, the um, creator of the atomic bomb. And so, yeah, just seeing about his rise and fall into um, his, um, you know, his journey into helping win World War II, but at the same time, I mean, at the process, killing hundreds of thousands of Japanese people and doing horrible ratifications of creating a weapon that would essentially become the standard of a lot of horrific, you know, horrific things that would happen to people. So, yeah, I mean, he wasn't fully respected after the war. So, yeah, I mean, his storytelling was very important in showcasing that. And, yeah, I think that Oppenheimer is definitely going to be a major contender for a lot of Oscars. Yeah. Okay, so we move on to Best Actress now. And uh, I think this is where you and I start, you know, we're probably talking about Barbie again, but I'll tell you what it is. Emma Stone 
Lily Gladstone, Annette Benning, Kari Mulligan, and Sandra Hula. And like, uh, there, you know, where is Margie Rabbit in this? In She's this not list? in there. Yeah. Yeah. And and here's the thing. Um, and uh, to be honest, with a lot of people who you know, Barbie fans are pointing out, like, this is the point of the movie that they were talking about here. You know, like yeah. uh, the fact that you know women weren't getting the recognition that they basically deserved. Yeah, and of course the Oscars, as usual, just leave out crucial women in the nominations. And um, yeah, even yeah, this, this is why people argue that the Nickelodeon Kids Choice Awards probably are more reflective of you know society than you know, the Oscars are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even Ryan Gosling had to step forward on social media saying the fact that Margot Robbie was not nominated for an Oscar was just absolutely abysmal. He said that she was the movie. She was Barbie. She was the reason why the movie worked. Well, regardless of like her standing, I mean, like her performance was uh, was stellar. Mm-hmm. Like I could not fault Margie, fault Margie Rabbit at all. Like, she had me believing she was Barbie. Yeah, yeah. She's like you know, and it wasn't just the fact that she looked the part; she actually acted the part too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, yeah, I'm very shocked. Yeah, I'm very shocked. You. And on top of that, like you can't say there wasn't like another space for like you know a sixth nomination. Like you know there was uh, there, there what there was uh, how many people were in there? Five people were in there. I mean, traditionally that's usually what it is: five uh, people. I nah, think that in they more- should, they should they should put in more than that. I yeah, think. like at least six. I mean, look how many, look how many, look how many best pictures there are. There's tons. I mean, yeah, there's twelve. That's the tradition. Is that you know, in recent years, it used to be like five nominations. Then they moved it up to maybe eight, and now it's the, now the standard is twelve. Yeah, again, I don't think the Oscars know what they're doing. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. The, as for the other actors, um, I have not seen any of the other films that have been uh, released. I mean, I know. Oh, Emma's- how, what does that say about like you know the fact that you and I we watch tons and tons and tons of movies? I mean, like uh, no one can say that we don't watch enough movies. And yeah, you know the the uh, the nominations that are up here are all movies that we haven't checked out or maybe people haven't told us to check out. Yeah. Effectively. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, let's go over to actor, and we have Bradley Cooper, we have Coleman Domingo, Paul Giamatti. Killian Murphy and Jeffrey Wright. Again, I think Jeff uh, Killian Murphy is going to win this one. Oh yeah, I think I, mean, I think Oppenheimer. I think is going to be the movie. I think everyone's going to be shouting about. Yeah. So I think uh, yeah, I think it's pretty safe to say that Oppenheimer's got a good 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 shout for this. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, next one I've got is best international feature film, Ooh, uh, which okay. is. Uh, El Capitano, uh, Society of the Show, The Zone of Interest, uh, Perfect Days, and The Seashore Lounge. So, uh, The Zone of Interest, you know, were to uh, go both international and best picture, I think, uh, is uh, really good for them. I think they'd be, they be happy with the nominations, let alone, like, let alone the trophy. Yeah, for sure. And I think that more f- international feature films should be highlighted and showcased. I mean, at least more available. Well, if you remember, Mike, there was the, uh, what was that Korean movie that was, uh, that, that one best picture? Uh, oh, um, Parasite. Parasite, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, like, uh, they are getting recognition now i think they are looking like elsewhere you know, outside of hollywood say oh hey these guys can do a really good film so, absolutely yeah i mean to see what netflix does you know the oscars like what the fact they're gonna basically have okay you know, yeah we'll uh, yeah this one i want to bring up animated short film um and uh, uh, now um you hear the nominations and you let me know what's missing go for it okay so and the uh, nominations are letter to a pig 95 senses our uniform pachyderm and war is over inspired by the music of john and yoko Mm, I, I know what everyone's going to say. Where's Once Upon a Studio? Yes. I've got to be honest with you. Once Upon a Studio was just a bunch of cameos and uh, all of them coming together, like, you know, for the 100 years of Disney. I mean, this is the complaint that we have for Wish. You know, like, and by the way, Wish is not in this in this list either. <laughs> Spoilers. So, exactly, yeah. But, uh, I mean, this is the thing. I, I argue that probably Once Upon a Studio is nice for a short for Disney to celebrate itself. Whether it's Oscar-worthy, I think, is another matter, to be quite honest with I you. I mean, yeah, there's a also, bit of... Re- there's also some talk about them resurrecting Rob 
Robin Williams basically from the dead, I think, is, you know, is questionable. In that yeah. As well. I mean, now here's the thing. You remember several years ago in the Roald Dahl retrospective where we talked about um, revolting rhymes and it was nominated for an Oscar for best um, film. Uh, what was it? Short film for under an hour. Yeah. And um, the one that won ended up being Dear Basketball, which was a documentary by Kobe Bryant. And people were saying like, oh, man, that's just a, um, you know, that's just basically just him showing off and stuff like that. And, you know, I think that... But um, wasn't the basketball ball about, like, you know, his connection with basketball? Yes. Like, you know, so he's not even more personal, like, open connection with that. I mean, like, that, I mean, like, uh, I think is, uh, you know, um, something that is very personal to somebody and want yes. to share with the world. Yes, I think, and, yeah. and I know, but I'm just saying, like, in con- you you know, without the context, people will just see it as just like somebody who's just showing off their ego. It's yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, so. and I guess maybe for some people who saw that Once Upon a Studio was not nominated, it's like, okay, you know, um, at least it's not Disney showing off their ego of 100 years. But at the same time, for a lot of people, they're actually really devastated that it didn't get the nomination. Yeah. By the way, just so uh, me, me, me and Patricia are basically sitting on opposite sides of a desk at the minute. So, like, uh, um, where, where are you getting your list from for uh, the... Because uh, I'm looking at the uh, the Google version of the of the. I'm list. looking at Variety. You're looking at Variety's version of the list. Okay, then. I'm looking at Google's version of the no, list. No, that's fine. I mean, it's the same information yeah, anyway. The, yeah, it is. Well, it's, it's all in different areas, that's why. Because after I got Best International Feature, I got Best Director okay. after that. So, um, I don't, so basically, Best Director at the moment is uh, Justin Trey, uh, Martin Scorsese, um, Yorgos Lathimios, sorry if I butcher these names, uh, Christopher Nolan, and uh, Jonathan Glazer. Again, it wouldn't be too much of a surprise if either Scorsese or Nolan would take this one. Yeah, I think, no, I think Nolan probably will take it. I mean, the... the I, I, Again, I'm really upset that Greta Gertwig is not in the nominations. Oh yeah, well, there's definitely that too. I think you know uh, that's going to be that's going to be a talking point. I think that this year's Oscars, I think this isn't going to go away. Like you know, where is uh, Margie Robert? Where is uh, you know got you know um, Greta, Gertwig. Greta Gertwig? Yeah, exactly. Where are all these people? And yeah. where, where where's Bobby Hair and makeup for crying out loud? Like you know, they're not in there too. Wow. So yeah, it's just it's uh, the, yeah. There's some very questionable decisions I think in all this. But I would say you know uh, if we move on to best animated feature, I think you and I can probably not disagree with like you know the people that are in this list oh boy here we go so spider-verse nimona robot dreams the boy in the heron and elemental okay out of all the films that are nominated we have not seen robot dreams yeah well uh i mean i'm actually interested to see where but robot dreams isn't even out yet in the uk so yeah like, it's yeah. a it's it, a french and spanish production which is why we haven't seen it yet yeah so it's in it's out in march from what, from what i understand okay so, so yeah we'll, we'll probably take a look into it in the future spider-verse i think is fantastic yes so it is uh, we, okay so yeah we've seen all of these uh films with the exception of robot dreams so let's go over them so um, oh, oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. I haven't seen Boy in the Heron yet. What am I talking about? Yeah, I haven't seen Boy in the Heron either, actually. Yeah, okay, so... We, we yeah. have seen, I've seen clips of it, so... Um, okay, uh, yeah, yeah, so let's go over the, the ones that are nominated that we do know of. Okay, so Spider-Verse. I mean, Spider-Verse, um, whether it's... I think it could win it. I yes. think it, I am in picture, which kind of, like, pains me at, at the same time, but, you know, not say that, you know, uh, Spider-Verse is uh, not worthy of an Oscar. I'm certainly saying it, it is. But look who else is in this category. Nimona. I mean, Nimona was dead. It was not supposed to be, and it here it is in the best animated feature and uh, you know the only other Disney movie is a Pixar movie which is Elemental yeah. and so like you know it's massive redemption for them yeah. you know just to, like, just to get nominated I think if they went away with the Oscar I think you know uh, I would really like to be a fly on the wall over at the House of Mouse thinking you know well what what, what are they going to do here yeah you, know, you know what I mean I think that it, it's I mean because across the Spider-Verse is a stronger contender of winning because Into the Spider-Verse won over Wreck-It Ralph Breaks the Internet hmm. So I'm thinking that it will most likely be the winner. But if some way that Nimona wins, it will be like the biggest redemption in 
animation history. I mean, g- movie- given the attitude towards Disney right now, I could probably see some members of the Academy sticking two fingers up at Disney, even voting Ramona out of Spy. I really could. It could like, be. You know, I mean, uh, that's something that potentially could happen, but, uh, I mean, uh, but you got to give Spider-Verse its credit, and, uh, I mean, as much as Elemental, I think, you know, was a was a movie that I think Pixar somewhat got right, I don't think it's Oscar-worthy. i got to be honest with everybody. I mean, here's the thing. We did enjoy the movie, despite its flaws, but, yeah, out of all the amazing movies that came out in 2023, and we talked about a good amount of them, yeah, I would say Elemental is definitely one of the lower ones. Now, Boy and the Heron, I mean, we're talking about a movie that Hayao Miyazaki worked on for seven years after he was done with The Wind Rises. Mm-hmm. And it was a movie that was supposed to be a gift for his grandson, for him to leave something behind. And now here he is for an Oscar, because it's a gift for other people, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, we have not seen the movie, but we will at some point. And from the looks of the trailers and from the looks of everybody talking about it, I mean, it could be a possible contender. If that's the case... This will be a second Oscar win. Mm, definitely. Um, so, anyway, we'll figure out what happens with the best animated feature. And uh, But mind you, like, uh, whoever wins, I think uh, it's uh, going to be a massive talking point. I think uh, the fact that Nimona is up there and uh, not, not, not one Disney film is up there. Not Wish, uh, not any of the other ones that have come out this year. Is yeah, just, exactly. You know, yeah, I mean, Wish is not in there and Once Upon a Studio is not in there. Yeah, so... Uh, I mean, uh, n- it's not- going to have a lot of people thinking over at uh, Disney about what, what on earth do they do to pull themselves out of this situation. One thing they basically, the, the one that they could potentially do is basically say, uh, uh, well, you know, uh, we don't care about the Oscars anymore. We're basically just going to do, oh, you know, how funny would it be if they said around and said, you know, we're going to do our own awards ceremony. Like, you know, Nickelodeon got the, Nick, Nick, Nick kids choi- got the Kids' Choice Awards, so we're going to do our own uh, ceremonies with Blackjack and Hookers. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. I mean, if that were the case, I'm surprised they didn't do it years ago because the Kids' Choice Awards was around since 1989. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I mean, but... Um, yeah. I got Best Original Song up here. Oh, yeah, uh, go for it. So, uh, um, the mummies are I'm Just Ken, uh, It Never Went Away, uh, What Was I Made For, uh, Was Ozzy, and uh, The Fire Inside. Um, you know, um, What Was I Made For has won a Grammy yes. uh, over there. So, hmm, could it go for Oscar? I mean, you know, usually there's like rumblings around around things like this, whether they will go for... I mean, can you believe that there are two songs from Barbie that are nominated for an Oscar for the Best Original? The music was great. It was great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to complain. I mean, of course it's great because look who wrote the music for it. Billy Eilish and Phineas O'Connell wrote What Was I Made For? And Mark Ronson and Andrew Riot wrote I'm Just Ken. So, yeah, I mean, the music was fantastic. I, I think this is, you know, uh, a lot of people think that, uh, you know, Billie Eilish is just anti-pop. And she's not. She is a creative genius, I think. <laughs> and uh, I think uh, what she came up with, I think, for Barbie, I think, uh, she uh, she under- she's, she understands. She's a student who understands what the assignment is about. And so she will study it and she will look at it and she will, you know, know will give her opinions on it and she will write something for it and then turn it in and then basically get the top grade yeah so and like, not to mention that she and phineas wrote the songs for turning red so imagine going in from late 90s early 2000s pop music to contemporary music about barbie it makes you wonder. Well, Billie Eilish has always always uh, admitted that she's more of a visual artist than she is, you know. Uh, and it than, makes so much sense. It does, yeah. It makes you wonder. Like, I mean, if she is, I mean, maybe she will probably do like maybe more albums in the future. But uh, it does give you an inkling that you know she's done really well with Turning Red. She's done really well with Barbie. I mean, it makes you wonder if like you know. I mean, in I, the think future, that, I think is she, that is she, she going to basically be doing movies basically for that's them? what I was going to say. Is that you know because I mean 
yeah, I think that she should really focus. I mean, her and Wait, Phineas. Disney needs to bring her in, don't they? Yeah, I mean, it. her and Phineas really need to go, do more movie scores. I, I do agree. Yeah. yeah. And as for the other songs, uh, like the Fire Inside, it never went away, and Wazazali, a song for my people. Uh, again, I've never. Um, heard any of the songs even outside the movie or in the movie so again yeah. I can't really say anything okay um, my next one is best supporting actor and uh, we have Mark Ruffalo uh, Robert De Niro uh, Robert Downey Jr um, Sterling K Brown and Ryan Gosling and, Ryan Gosling uh, I wouldn't be surprised takes this I tell one. you what I mean like uh, it's uh, it's still interesting to see that you know Robert De Niro and Robert Downey Jr like you know they are basically heavyweights in uh, the and so uh, is Mark in, Ruffalo in, yeah, in Rob, there too. and Mark Ruffalo as well like you know and there's Ryan Gosling in there and uh, you know he's basically uh, trying to contend in there you know with some of the big heavyweights in there and yeah so. and you know what going into the song from or, uh, the, the music earlier and people were like saying like wait Ryan Gosling can sing it's like yeah, yeah he was talented. yeah he was part of the Mickey Mouse Club since the 90s so I mean he was alongside with people like Justin Timberlake Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera it's amazing how like people like just like, you know forget you know the fact that where these guys came from it's like you know um, oh well, Britney Spears can ask it's like well yeah she was part of the Mickey Mouse Club yeah, yeah. Was, yeah like it's like they I think the great thing about the Mickey Mouse Club and I think the great thing about some of the variety shows that came out of that like you know where we talk about uh, you know Mickey Mouse Club we talk about all that we talk about like uh, you know where Saturday the Amanda, Night Live Amanda, Amanda Show and like well yeah Saturday Night Live I mean to be honest with you I think if you're in nowadays I think if you're on Saturday Night Live you've already made it I mean Keenan Thompson was oh. uh, was in Keenan and Kellen and all that and you know was doing like you know oh, yeah, the sure. Good Burger sketches you know long before he was doing SNL yeah. so I think uh, you know I think SNL basically now is basically you know like you've made it I think at that yeah point. okay but, that's fine uh, yeah, that, but, yeah. that's my opinion of it anyway yeah but i mean in regards to um you know all you know the the the, versi- the versatility of an actor i think that's something i think that um we seem to be lacking at this point because you know you don't really have those like you know variety shows anymore you don't really have like you know i mean you don't really need like. to especially since you know you have the internet to pre- present your skills anyway I, I guess so yeah but i mean like you know the internet can only do so much that's true i, I think and uh, so i think you know i really do miss like you know um the, these young up-and-comers who like you know come and do like these comedic skits and you know do they show like all these uh, all these talents and things like that and then all of a sudden like you know there'll be the standout star that comes and breaks out and next thing you know Oscar you know Oscar bound yeah you absolutely know? yeah alright so I have actress in a supporting role and we have Emily Blunt Danielle Brooks the, uh, we have America Ferrera Jodie Foster and Divine Joy I do apologize wait, wait, what's, what category is that again <laughs> actress in a supporting role so, actress in a supporting role yeah so we have um, Emily Blunt Danielle Brooks America Ferrera Jodie Foster and Divine Joy Randolph Hmm, that's going to be interesting. I think, you know, uh, Emily Blunt also, and also uh, America Ferreira, I think also in Barbie. Again, there's another Barbie Oppenheimer you know, standoff in that. Not to count out the color purple, the holdovers in, in Naya, but, uh, I mean, those were th- those two movies were the talk of, you know, last year and even this year. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's going to be another tune for a tussle between those two, I think. Yeah, so let's but go... A Barbie and Oppen- you know, funny, you know, a Barbie doll and a nuclear bomb are basically <laughs> you know, are, are arguing over the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of like when, uh, what was it, Doom Eternal and Animal Crossing New Horizons came out on the same day. Well, to be fair, Isabel and uh, Doom Slayer was friends. Like, you know, <laughs> like, so, uh, I mean, even Nintendo, even if it's that, you know, they're friends in the Smash Brothers universe fair anyway. Enough. So I think. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. well, yeah, let's go over to um, Adapted Screenplay. So, again, this is going to be a debate. Mm. So, we have an American fiction, yeah. Barbie, 
Oppenheimer, Poor Things, and The Zone of Interest. Now, people are saying, wait a minute, why is Barbie an adaptive screenplay? Because it's not an original story. The, the, the Barbie lore is not an original story. Like, you know, the, the, the I mean, I, I get that, you know, the idea, I mean, the, even they explain what Barbie is in the movie, and you can say, oh, well, that's not based on, you know, that's based on the Barbie story. Well, I mean, there is, there isn't, there, I mean, sure, it's based off of the history of Barbie, like, in the first few minutes, but, like, the whole story about what happened in the movie is not adapted from, like, a book or even even a previous Barbie incarnation. Well, it's, it's not adopted from the law. I mean, like, uh, you know, if they did Warhammer the movie, I mean, like, you know, that's adapted from the game. So, okay, I mean, fair yeah. enough. I mean, like, on top of that, like, you know what? I mean, look, look at the Super Mario Brothers movie. I mean, like, you can't say that's not adapted from, like, the games, can you? Like, yeah. You know. oh, oh, by the way, if you're wondering, no, the Super Mario Brothers movie is not nominated for anything in the Oscars this year. And some people, you know, it's funny, like, I will say this and some people are shocked, but I agree. Like, you know, the, the whole idea of the Super Mario Brothers movie, the whole, you know, mission of Illumination Studios and Nintendo was effectively to make a you know, faithful Super Mario Brothers movie. Not necessarily make it great, not necessarily make it like you know, Oscar-worthy or anything like that. Basically, just start from square one and see where you go. And because, you know, Nintendo's never really done a movie project like this before, and neither has Illumination. And, uh, you know, I would be very surprised if they did something Oscar-worthy, to be quite honest with you. Like, that'd, be, uh, that'd be a shock. I mean, who knows? Maybe the Zelda movie can, can change everything. I mean, who knows? Like, you know, Sony Animated Pictures, I think, will have their own ideas of, you know, for Shigeru Miyamoto about what, what to do. And let me tell you something, you know, the, play, uh, you know, the PlayStation debacle is long over over and done with now. Like, you know, the Sony and Nintendo are happy to work on projects. Oh, sure. But uh, actually, that will be interesting. Like, you know, uh, uh, Nintendo will work with Sony, like, on a, you know, this movie project. And then Nintendo will get cold feet at the last minute. And next thing you know, like, you know, Sony will basically release, like, this uh, sort of, like, fantasy movie that, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> borrowing from Nintendo's yeah, ideas. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. It's like, oh, it, no, this is based off of our own original project. It's not a Zelda movie. It's, um, it, it, it's, um, Horizon or... Overture. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, maybe they just do PlayStation the movie. I don't know. Like, uh, <laughs> or or the... maybe it's like, no, it's not Zelda. It's it's just Bloodborne. That's what it is. It's Dark Souls. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. But, anyway, uh... but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Let's 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 move on. So. Yeah. Okay, um, pretty much the same thing when it comes to, like, um, uh, costume design. Again, Barbie and Oppenheimer are neck and neck again. Um, although that when it comes to sound, um, Oppenheimer is nominated. And, no, uh, no, and best I could make up... Oh, wait, what, what are you looking at? Uh, costume design. Costume design. Oh, I'm looking at makeup and hairstyle. All right, well, let's, let's, look at, let's look at that, yeah. Yeah, Barbie's not in it, which is, is shocking to me. Yeah, I okay, so let me get this straight. If Barbie is in costume, but not in hair and makeup, what kind of sense does that make? I, I'm gonna say, yeah. Yeah, like uh, I mean, because um, I, I like how everyone's hair and makeup seems to be done. I in mean, this. It's, and they it's, captured they captured Barbie doing all of this, the, uh, and makeup and hairstyling was part of Barbie. Like, I, I don't I don't understand. I don't understand it either. Anyway, but yeah, as for the costume, again, you know, Barbie is in there, and so is Oppenheimer. Uh, Napoleon is in there as well. This is the first time we're mentioning Napoleon in the nominations. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember, um, you remember the museum that we went to when we were in Huddersfield, and we were, like, um, looking around all the old uh, military uniforms? They had an entire section that on Napoleon. Oh, no, that was the uh, Royal Armouries in Leeds. Oh, Leeds. Okay, yeah, it was in Leeds. Okay, so we saw an entire section about uh, Napoleon. And we saw like all the costumes. We saw the all the battles that he won and lost, and and various things. So and by the way, to all those IGN fans out there, if we're talking about the same Royal Armouries Museum that uh, basically did all like all the guns, like you know Half Life and you know various other uh, uh, Call of Duty and various other games. Uh, yeah, they're all stored at the Royal Army Museum. You oh know, nice. And uh, yeah, they got to like you know demonstrate like what all guns could do. That's right. So, yeah, uh, that yeah. Was so that was the same museum. Yeah, that was actually pretty cool. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, and um, as for um, poor things and Killers of the Flower Moon. 
Moon. Uh, again, I haven't seen the movie, so I can't really say it. Now, sound, I want to actually bring up something. So Oppenheimer is nominated, but Barbie's not. Again, I guess I could understand because when it comes to like sound effects for a nuclear bomb, I guess it could be um, a contender for like... Well, hey, I don't think it's just that. I think it's just like, you know, sound is so important in a movie. Like, you know, it creates tense, it creates, you know, uh, and, you know things like that. And uh, I mean, the only good part, I think, you know, in regards to Barbie, I mean, I, I, know, I know it sounds a bit... I don't mean this to sound insulting, but uh, I think the silent moments, I think, will probably be like, you know, the best parts of Barbie, where yeah. it kind of all just kind of slowed down and, you know, Barbie's trying to think about like, uh, you know, oh, well, I thought I was like, you know, going to be this perfect thing, but now you know, someone else has played with me and now I feel these other feelings now. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, and you don't really need sound for that. No, like, you don't. Yeah. And, and all the other nominations like Maestro, which is a movie about Leonard Bernstein, the composer, mm. makes sense for sound. Yeah. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, um, a spy thriller, makes sense for sound. Mm -hmm. Oppenheimer makes sense for sound. And um, yeah, all the other nominations, again, you know, they're, they're like thrillers or spy movies or, mov or movies that are about music. Again, makes a lot of sense why sound is important. Mm -hmm. Now, original score... Um, Oppenheimer is in here again, but so is Indiana Jones and the Doll of Destiny. Um, what, what category is that for? Original score. Original score? I mean, like, uh, is it really that original? Like, I mean, uh, I remember hearing the trailer and, like, uh, they basically just mixed, you know, um, um, you know, uh, the Indiana Jones thing with the 70s track. Like, uh, I mean, I mean, I, 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 we haven't seen the movie, so I don't know what the rest of the songs I don't sound think we like. Want to see the movie from the sounds of it, like uh, yeah, from what people saw, told me, apparently this is probably the worst Indiana Jones movie. And and to think that Crystal Skull was a butt of a joke for fifteen years. Well, no, I mean, I would say in defense of Creative Crystal Skull, I mean, we based a whole show called you know. I, mean, I know, I'm just saying, like the Crystal general Skull. public. Yeah, but uh, I would say that uh, Crystal Skull thing is not necessarily a bad movie. It's not necessarily a good movie. This is the movie that's in the middle. Yeah, like, you, know, it, it you is. can get something out of it, but don't expect too much. Yeah. Yeah, but that's, uh, yeah, so I'm surprised that Dial of Destiny is even nominated. But then again, it's John Williams. He can do anything, so mm -hmm. not, too much, not too much of a surprise. Yeah. All right, now this is actually really interesting. So um, Best Live Action Short Film, and The Wonderful World of Henry Sugar is nominated. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so we talked about this movie in the Roald Dahl retrospective. So, yeah, let's go over it here. So we were really impressed with how Wes Anderson was able to do something really different in adapting a very short story. Yeah, I think... Uh uh, you know, Wes Anderson, I think, did you know a fantastic job, you know, uh, with with Henry Sugar, and uh, you can definitely tell in like all the skits, and uh, you know, uh, you can definitely tell that you know that Wes Anderson magic is is in there as well. Like you know, there's a bit where they like do the uh, the stop motion with like you know the rats, and uh, then uh, you know um, you get to like you hear like all the stories of like you know where, where he's been around, and uh, they're told so well. They are, and uh, I just think that's you know I'm really glad they actually got nominated, and uh, I would like to win it, but unfortunately it's a pretty heavy contender. Yeah, in I mean, we, yeah, exactly. I mean, the other contenders are, um, let me see if I can find it really quick. Uh, here it is. So yeah, we have Invincible, Knight of Fortune, Red, White, and Blue, and The After. So, um, I don't know what those are about, but... Invincible, I think, is based off, like, you know, the, uh, the TV show, I think it is. Oh, oh, oh really? It, okay. I think so. I'm oh, not too sure. Interesting. But, uh, I mean, if it is, like, uh, yeah, I can see that being, being a favorite, favorite for that one. Sure. Yeah, we'll see. All right, then. So yeah, um, uh, now this again, I'm surprised that... Barbie is not nominated for this makeup and hairstyling like yeah we talked about that before oh so. yeah that's right well, Oppenheimer's in there yeah Oppenheimer's in there now visual oh that's what I was going to read about visual effects Barbie's not in there yeah but and, and here's the thing Oppenheimer's not in here either 
That's it. Who is in there, then? Okay, so we have The Creator, Godzilla Minus One, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, Napoleon, and Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. I mean, like, uh, there was a lot of practical effects in Barbie, I mean, uh, but uh, obviously they, uh, which I think, you know, was the strength of, the, of Barbie, because they could have done, like, CG, the CGI, like, the inter- yeah, the- CGI'd it to death, but no, they didn't. they didn't. And uh, so, I mean, I guess I can see why that wasn't. I mean, Oppenheimer, I mean, like, uh, I mean, he, you know, Christopher Nolan's all about practical effects as well. So I mean, I yeah, exactly, yeah. And now, and, uh, I think Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, and I think you know a few other ones being in there that basically like use CGI to all hell. I think it is understandable, really, about why they're in there. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but um, let me see if I can find anything else that we can cover. All right, but um, oh yeah, here we go. Uh, next one is um, film editing. Uh, Anatomy of a Fall, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Oppenheimer, and Poor Things. So yeah, film editing is really important when it comes to the pacing and the presentation of a film. So knowing that a lot of these films are very long, and knowing that the the you know the the tone of each film can be really really serious. I think that all of these films, with the exception of The Holdovers, are a little bit more on the dramatic side. Yeah, I agree, and uh, I think um, you know well, the, the opposite. Like you say that they've, uh, I think I agree with them all, and uh, so I mean, film editing you know, has been so you know important in all these movies. Um, whether if I could pick one that's basically going to say, yeah, that's going to take the Oscar, that's going to be really hard to do because you know, be they're hard. also well done. Absolutely. So. Okay, cinematography. So, um, Oppenheimer's in here, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro El Conde, and Poor Things. So, yeah. Um, Wouldn't it be hilarious that you and I were like, talking about like, you know, the tussle between Oppenheimer and Barbie and basically didn't win any of them and all the oh. other ones that we, that we talked about like won all the Oscars? That would be really shocked considering that they dominated the Golden Globes and the Emmys. Yeah, well, you never know. So. That's true. Mm-hmm. All right, um, let's see. Oh, original screenplay, Anatomy of a Fall, The Holdovers, Maestro, May, December, and Past Lives. Mm, um, I haven't, again, I haven't seen any of these films. Yeah, I can't pick one, sorry. Okay. Yeah, so that's pretty much it for the Oscars. So yeah, um, it's going to be coming out next, uh, actually in the next few weeks. So we'll see who ends up winning this one. Yeah, definitely. And uh, so, yeah, I'm looking, good luck to everybody who's going to be into it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so our next bit of news. So um, if you remember, almost an entire year ago, we talked on Aaron and Patricia that a few screenshots of a Fairly Odd Parents reboot on Netflix had been leaked online. Well, since then, the first episode has been leaked online. And What the- is it with all these leaks? That seems to Yeah, like, like literally just a few weeks ago, we talked about that Paramount's storyboards for Sonic and Knuckles was leaked online. So, yes, Paramount... The, the only thing I can put it down to is that, you know, these these uh, projects are now over and uh, now everyone else is looking for work. So I guess the only thing that I think maybe what's happening is is that, uh, you know, uh, these are now going out on people's portfolios online and then they basically just leaked out through that. I mean, like, uh, that's the only thing I could pay, I think you think of. Because I remember when, you remember when the Owl House fans were all getting angry because things were being leaked online and stuff like that? And I said, well, like, you know, that's all well and good for you. Like, you know, you want, you're going to get spoiled, like, you know, on a, on a, on a, t- you know, on a TV show. Meanwhile, someone's going to wonder where and if their, uh, you know, their next paycheck's going to come from so they can keep their re- lights on in the house and buy a sandwich. Oh, you know, geez. like, well, yeah, it's, it's the truth. So, I mean, like, I guess spoilers are, are not fun for people, but at the same time, like, you know, um, it, people need to, uh, you know, put out their portfolios and need to 
to find work and, uh, you know, unfortunately things are going to leak and, uh, you know, it's uh, very hard to keep things, you know, under wraps, you know, in this day and age. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's, it's just absolutely just devastating for all the people who work so hard in presenting their years of work and then finally they can't really do it because it's all been leaked online. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but yeah, let's talk about this, you know, leaked video, shall we? So, yeah, it's called The Fairly Odd Parents, A New Wish. It is a reboot to the 2001 animated series The Fairly Odd Parents created by Butch Hartman. The series will focus on a new protagonist named Hazel Wells, a 10-year-old girl living in Dimadelphia. She recently moved to the city after her dad got a new job and without her brother has moved away to college and feeling lonely. Cosmo and Wanda come in and they do a whole bunch of crazy and wacky adventures. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I'm guessing this is going to be, like, lighter toned than, I think, uh, you know, uh, than the Timmy Turner situation, I'm guessing. Yes. Because, like, you know, uh, yeah, Timmy was, like, you know, uh, I think it was close to, like, you know, Child Protective Services walking in. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, this is a little bit more normal in which like Timmy was miserable because he had an awful babysitter and his parents were never around this time it's just that she feels really lonely because she's going to be moving into a brand new town and her dad's live action by the way or is no, it it's, a, a, it's animated it's animated oh, yeah we, we, we saw the the leaked photos last year you know what I you know how long ago was that a year online? ago a year ago yeah I can't remember all that far anyway but yeah uh, there were some clips of it that were leaked online the only I, I haven't seen the entire episode but I did see one clip mm-hmm. and it is of Timmy Turner as an adult and he is working as an actor being a bus driver for the Crimson Chin movie so yeah that's the only thing that I saw from that other than that it looks pretty much like the leaked photos that we saw last year when we were talking about it on Aaron and Patricia. Now, the person who is voicing as this new character, Hazel Wells, is Ashley Crystal Harrison, who actually has appeared in various TV shows over the years, and she's the new voice of Babs Bunny in Tiny Toon University. So, yeah, she is uh, already a, an established voice actress at this point in time. So, th- yeah, I'm just, like, absolutely shocked that this entire thing has been leaked online. I'm just shocked we're still doing fairly odd parents to be honest you, you know what i agree the, the 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 series was canceled five times over the course of 15 years and they brought it back over and over and over and over again because well let's be honest next to spongebob the fairly odd parents was one of the most popular nicktoons of the 2000s and so it was basically the only good things come out of oh yeah cartoons effectively i mean well not necessarily true Ch- chalk zone and my life is a teenage robot came out too but it didn't last as long sadly i mean my friend eli aka the cartoon hero can tell you all about how they screwed over chalk zone and i did the podcast of my life as a teenage robot with the uh dedicated people behind the fan base and the reanimation project and they can tell you that it got screwed over by nickelodeon so yeah you're noticing a pattern by the way anyway but yeah fairly odd parents was kind of like the thing that was kind of like holding it together and yeah it just went through seasonal rot it it, you know butch hartman had lost some of his crucial writers like you know steve marmel i mean this was after like the second season of danny phantom and he had to basically write a lot of things by himself. And then after a while, it's like, oh, yeah, they, they did the Klasky Chupo direction about like, let's add a bunch of new characters so that we can be able to keep our series relevant and not feeling stale. And so we got Sparky the dog. We got Poof the baby. And we got uh, Chloe, the second child of, Co- you know, that was the, the god 
child of Cosmo and Wanda because Timmy was using the magic of Cosmo and Wanda for so long that they were short on demand for fairies. So, oh mm. my god. I was, just think, uh, you know, well, what on earth, you know, like, uh, what on earth did some exaggerated the fact that our parents take, you know, to uh, and, and the fact that people were just not saying, oh no, the fairly odd parents is over. They were like relieved. And so, hey, you know what? Let's see if we can try to strike the iron again with fairly otter you remember that show right now somehow won a nicola jinsky's choice award which yeah shortly back. after it was taken out of paramount plus yeah exactly so uh yeah it's, it's uh, you know value parents has been through like you know a pretty horrible you know upbringing and still like you know they're still bringing it back you know again and again and again i don't i mean like i don't know they're doing focus groups and people saying oh i wish to see, see the fairy parents back so like you know like it's like a small minority of people then when they finally bring it back it's like oh and then like uh, then they end up kind of like canceling it again because you know nobody cares i have no idea yeah and now it's leaked online, so I think even less people are going to care now. But, uh, yeah. Boy. You know what? I mean, again, I only saw that first clip. I only saw photos. I haven't seen the entire thing. So I cannot say that this is going to be an absolute train wreck, but I'm just saying that I don't think it's necessary. Focus on more of your original stuff and stop like rebooting or reviving things unless you do it right. Mm-hmm. Like the Jungle movie was done for the right reasons. So was Rocko's Water Life Static Cling. So was Invader Zim Enter the Florpus. When you guys did a live action Dora the Explorer movie, you didn't do it because, oh, you know, Dora is so popular. Let's just uh, bank for it for all it's worth. No, you actually made it into a hilarious comedy that was very similar to the Brady Bunch movie. Yeah, exactly. Well, so I just think that, uh, I mean, where Nickelodeon is right now, I think. I mean, now you know they're going to be doing the Super Bowl again now with, with like SpongeBob SquarePants, and uh, I mean it was interesting because uh, this week actually, um, I mean I retweeted a Paramount Plus promotion, and Hey Arnold was in it. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about that really quick, since we're still uh, going to be covering Nickelodeon stuff uh, some more. So yeah, we recently saw a Super Bowl promotion where Patrick Stewart was throwing something at a mountain, and he said, "I need something with a football-shaped head," and he threw Arnold. As in, hey, Arnold, this is the first promotion that Arnold's been in since 2017. If you, if you ask me, did if if I ever see a day where, you know, Arnold Shortman and uh, Pepper Pig and Sir Patrick Stewart and uh, the Master Chief from Halo will all be included in one of the same promo, I would have giggled. I really would. <laughs> and uh, here we are, and Paramount Press have done it. And it's interesting that they're putting, you know, Arnold, you know, front and center. Not, well, not front and center, but making him like a, you know, a significant part of a promotion. It makes me wonder, like, you know, have they got any ideas, you know, potentially bring... You know, that back, because uh, there is still demand out there for I mean, hey, when, you, when you talked to Craig last time, he didn't hint on anything, did he? No, he says he's not in the way to wear anything. In fact, I think, you know, from the way he was speaking on Instagram, I think he even said that the uh, the, the promotion, I think, took him by surprise. Oh, wow. And, I mean, like, well, to be fair, like, you know, where it is, you know, hey, Arnold is Nickelodeon's property now, so they can do whatever they want with him. Sure, but, uh, sure. So, um, I think, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see, though, if uh, now, they, if they've had this response, I mean, what does that mean, essentially, for hey, Arnold's future? I mean, like, are they going to decide to, you know, potentially bring him back, you know, basically for a reboot or, like, uh, to uh, do something else with him. I mean, uh, it'll be interesting to see. Like, you know, uh, uh, hey, Arnold still basically gal- galvanizes an audience, and uh, I think a lot of people are a bit more, you know, happy to see uh, hey, Arnold back on TV rather than fairly odd parents. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, at the end of the day, I think that um, the fact that Paramount, Nickelodeon, what is your um, password? Is it password? Is it one, two, three, four, five, six, seven? Because all of these leaks are very, very concerning. You have people who have dedicated like over a year of work just so that all of their stuff can be leaked online. And if people see it and they're going to be like, 
I don't want to see it. You're, you're a promotional, no matter what you do, no matter how you want to say, oh, this is going to be coming up. Nobody's going to care. Well, say what, babe? I'll uh, raise you. Uh, so I'll take your uh, Fairly Odd Parents uh, reboot first episode and raise you an entire movie. Shall we go into that? <laughs> so, for those of you who do not know, um, the Sandy Cheeks movie uh, for SpongeBob has leaked entirely online. And. Uh, we are just absolutely amazed that uh, something like this could happen. And, My God! Uh, that it could just like yeah, an entire Nickelodeon movie. Like, uh, I, I mean, okay, where do I begin with this? Um, well, I'll let you take the floor. Oh my God! Okay, you know what? First of all, I'm still shocked and appalled by this. So let me just go over what uh, we talked about. So less than a few, less than a year ago, Aaron and I we did Sponge on the Run. We did a movie that was about SpongeBob and Patrick looking for Gary. And we said it was just the most benign and self-indulgent movie we've ever seen. And then came along the Sandy Cheeks movie. And for the people who did see it, they were saying, you know what? Sponge on the run. Maybe I treated you too harshly. Because apparently, according to what a lot of the people who saw the movie, when it was leaked online, they are saying that no. The Sandy Cheeks movie is even worse than Sponge on the Run. So here's the thing. I have not seen the movie. I'm not planning on seeing the movie until it officially comes out on Netflix. So uh, for those who are just like confused as to what the Sandy Cheeks movie is, especially if you haven't listened to our discussion on Sponge on the Run, let me bring it out. So um, SpongeBob is going to be having several movies coming out in the next few years. Their main movie is going to be coming out next year, and it's about the Flying Dutchman. But they are planning on doing spin-off movies focusing on the other characters. The first one they're focusing on is Sandy, and so she has her own movie. And now there are talks of saying that as soon as this movie is going to be coming out, there's going to be a Sandy Cheeks spin-off series. So... Because of that, people are saying, oh, geez, like it's going to be the whole Camp Coral thing all over again. Well, yes, it is. That's exactly what it is. So the plot synopsis goes as this from what I read online from people who actually did see it. So Bikini Bottom is taken away by the same science institute that Sandy works for. And so she has to go back up to the surface so she can be able to find them and locate them. And SpongeBob is along for the ride. And along the way, they are in Texas trying to find the Science Institute so that they can be able to rescue everybody right before it's too late. And yeah, a lot of people said they were just like shocked about how awful it is. They were saying like the characters are essentially like one note of their former selves. They're saying that was this movie written by an AI computer? They were saying the animation looks incredibly cheap. Now, here's the thing. They're using the 3D animation again, just like they, what they did with Sponge on the Run. Now, imagine taking the animation of Sponge on the Run and you know, having half of its budget, maybe even less than its budget, and try to do 3D again, mixing in with a more live action set pieces. So I'm like saying, oh man, Nickelodeon is in massive trouble. Yeah, by the way, I um, just want to warn everybody, uh, don't search Sandy Cheeks on uh, on the internet. 
Because uh, you might not actually actually get what you want, so... Uh, you know what? I'm not even going to talk about that. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, like, you know, the fact that this whole movie has been, you know, leaked online, and uh, I, I just, you know, this is a serious breach of uh, trust or security in regards to Nickelodeon, and uh, they need to investigate this, because, like, the way this happens again... Yeah, exactly. Like, okay, first the storyboards... Then the first episode of a TV series, and now an entire movie? Who's leaking all this stuff? I don't know who's leaking all this stuff. How is this happening? Yeah, who's like, doing this? I mean, you know, there's going to be, I think there's going to be a lot of security procedures. I think that's uh, Nickelodeon have to go over and go, I think, you know, stop the stuff like this from happening because, like, this, this, this can't, this, this can't stand. Yeah. Now, you want to know a really sad thing about this? Go for it. Um, you, you remember uh, Taylor White, aka Y Boy from Toon Grin, who we've had on the podcast before? Yeah. His brother worked on this movie. Oh, wow. So he is actually really devastated that, you know, all the, the you know, the, the work that he put into this movie and now it's being leaked online to the public. Yeah. Like, that must be really hard. So, Spencer, if you're listening to this, I am so sorry. I mean, like, yeah, we're sorry for everybody who worked on the movie and everything like that. And uh, so, I mean, totally understand that point of view. But uh, I mean, like uh, I mean, we we not we we've not seen the the actual leak itself, so no, I know we're not seen no, the movie. No, we have we have not seen the yeah, movie, so and we're not planning on doing it until it comes out. out. Yeah, exactly. But here's the thing: how are we going to talk about it? I mean, if it, I mean, whether it's going to be in Crystal Skull territory because that's how we talk about the other movies, or we do a casual chats episode of it if the Crystal Skull, uh, if um the movie is less than sixty percent on Rotten. Well, Tomatoes. whether it's you know if uh, I'll say even say this: if it's less than you know works Crystal Skull, I mean, I got to be honest, it might not even be worth talking about. To be honest with you, I mean, not, there's uh, a reason we did Wish because Wish was like a, you know 100 years of Disney. I mean, so I mean, there's my, the milestone movies will do, but I mean, to be honest with you, like a SpongeBob SquarePants sequel, like uh, and right now, well, I mean, it's not, not, it's not a sequel; it's a spin-off series. Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, another SpongeBob movie. I mean, like uh, we're not really uh, you know um, got anything podcast related kind of going on with that right now. I mean, Pixar movies will do, DreamWorks movies will do. We are talking about like maybe doing another series, you know, on top of that. You know, we've yeah. just, we've, we've really just got wrapped up with Blue Sky, basically. And Blue Sky I'm going to be. Really, any other movies anytime in the future so um but um you know if we end up doing like you know talking about all the nickelodeon movies you know in, in a podcast like somewhere behind you we've already covered some already yeah like, we, we did we, good burger too yeah yeah we did good burger too we did um uh the the three spongebob movies so yeah but that was in relation to crystal skull exactly yeah yeah and and yeah for crystal skull once again we did jimmy neutron and we did rugrats in paris yeah exactly so um yeah we might end up covering like move maybe nickelodeon movies you know as a series maybe one day in the future but uh, i mean right now i mean you know unless it does you know go into our crystal skull radar we're not going to really touch it Uh, unless of course if i get a whole bunch of demands from people saying you need to watch this movie here come the comments oh boy okay so yeah again uh Unless, of course, if it is in Crystal Skull territory, in the comments below, do you want us to see this movie when it comes out? Please let us know. Mm-hmm. Because um, the movie that uh, people want me to watch in 2024 is actually the Looney Tunes movie. So I'm going to be watching that this year. Okay. All right. So, yeah, next bit of news. So um, let's take a break from Nickelodeon and let's talk about the Nintendo Switch. Yeah. So um, some rumors of the Nintendo Switch 2 has now been basically released. And so uh, you have to forgive me, everybody. Because okay. Let's talk about the first thing is that there's rumors of a Star Fox game. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, that, I think, is fantastic because, you know, when was... You know, also, it's kind of out of left field as well because when was the last time we heard about Star Fox? Star Fox Zero. Star Fox Zero, yeah. And that was in 2016. That was in, yeah. So it's been uh, nearly... nearly Nearly eight 
year, so yeah. I think, uh, since we, like, uh, last... Uh, so, um, I mean, I'm just going to go on uh, Games Radar and say everything that we've... Uh, all the rumors that we've heard so far... Yeah, sure. ...about the Nintendo Switch 2, because I think, actually, we've kind of covered this already, I think, uh, in, in previous uh, discussions I mean, the, the, about another it. thing that I did hear about was about the fact that it was going to be getting, like, an 8-inch screen or something. Mm-hmm. So, um, so well, let's go into the Star Fox news anyway. So, Nintendo reportedly develops a new Star Fox for... Uh, probably developing a new Star Fox or Switch 2 and it's planned for this year apparently so not only have they been developing it apparently it might release in 2024 as well Wow! which you know is, uh, would be quite amazing actually because I don't think we've ever had a Star Fox game actually like you know announced and released in the same year I think uh, that would be a new thing for that because Namco I think took like three years I think to develop I think Star Fox mm-hmm. uh, Assault and uh, I think Star Fox Adventures I think to, well Star Fox Adventures started off as Dinosaur Planet for Rare and then it turned into Star Fox Adventures after Miyamoto got involved so um, you know to have something announced now and then say oh it's going to come out in a couple of months I think it's quite fantastic really for Star Fox yeah uh, another rumor that I did hear about is that Metroid Prime 4 is not only going to be released for the Switch but might even be released for the second Switch uh, yeah well um, that would make sense because you know it's Twilight Princess was also released for um, you know um, Nintendo Switch, sorry, you know, and, you know GameCube and also Nintendo Wii. Yeah. So they've not they've done this and they've done this previously. Yeah, they did it previously again with um, Breath of the Wild, in which that was released for the Wii U and for the Switch. Ah, uh, yeah. But here's the thing: Metroid has never had that before. Yeah. Well, he's gonna have it now. Yeah, so I, I mean, at least according to the rumors. Yeah. I mean, because they've been working on this game since 2019 after the whole debacle with Nintendo not being satisfied with what Namco Bandai did, and so they gave it over to Retro Studios again. And then there were some other things about, like, they were hiring more people who had worked on various video games, like uh, the Call of Duty games, and, um, you know, a lot of... Uh, they were even working with a second studio who was helping them with cutscenes. So, yeah, they're, they're thinking about having this kind of, like, a ma- ma- massive open-world game, which I've never heard of a Metroid open world game ever i mean uh, well i mean if you look at the story of metroid it is quite open world when you really think about it so yeah, i mean yeah. like i'm surprised it hasn't happened sooner yeah so this will be really interesting if they do take that direction yeah just going back on to uh Star Fox just for a tidbit so yeah. according to blog post uh, leaker zipper when uh, you know so he's uh, said it's supposed that for the first time since Star Fox 64 that a whole new series is going to be supposedly in development internally at nintendo though that's not all though when online uh, multiplayer is also being considered being a big part of this new title and will be released for nintendo's next console he's so Zippo explains there is a chance that it's a cross-generation uh, release adding that so the game will be released will be coming out in the next 12 months uh, back in this claims the leak has shared screenshots of uh, trademark filings with December uh, with an entirely new trademark um, you know it wasn't so the, the old one basically wasn't being renewed so uh, um, we have heard of uh, them renewing patents for Star Fox but also Princess Peach also is another ch- trademark also they're renewing as well okay. so I mean well Princess Peach Showtime is going to be like their next big game for uh, for Princess Peach so I mean, it, 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 it does do look that. really good I mean I saw like all the different costumes and the whole uh, stage show appearance that she's been in. So it looks I think pretty it's fantastic. It looks really good. I yeah. actually want to get the game. Yeah, well, uh, I don't blame you. I think I want to have a more, I want to steal the game off you once you're done with it. <laughs> right. Anyway, but yeah. Um Okay, so another thing that's been uh, reported, according to Eurogamer, that a Nintendo apparently took a prototype of the Switch 2 to Gamescom, running a tech demo of Breath in the Wild that was shown to developers. And, of course, they denied it, but um, uh, it was backed up by court documents that got revealed as part of Microsoft Activision to Activision Blizzard, which stated that Nintendo briefed Activision on the Switch in late 2022. Yeah, apparently there's an AI company also that was also told about the development of the uh, the next console as well. So, I mean, like, uh, you know, when Nintendo... Definitely are putting out feel even releasing dev cult tools. I think out to uh, certain developers as well. So um, I mean, yeah, I think it's pretty much we're inevitably waiting for a Nintendo Direct to be announced. 
uh, effectively. And uh, so uh, whether it's going to be quarter one or quarter two is going to be, uh, we're going to have to wait for. But uh, yeah, I mean, we're just, we're, we're waiting, Nintendo, you know, <laughs> give us some news. <laughs> well, what's coming out? Yeah. So. Now, in terms of raw statistics, um, the rumors of the techs that um, Nintendo Switch 2 might have is a NVIDIA Tegra T239 CPU, 8 gigabyte LPDDR5 RAM, 64 gigabytes eMMC storage, DLSS2 support, FSR3 support, a 7 to 8 inch 720p OLED uh, 120 hertz display and improved battery life. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I think uh, with, uh, they've always used NVIDIA technology obviously with the Switch as well, so I mean, I think they've been pretty happy with the technology and will go for it again. NVIDIA is a reputable company and, uh, you know, it's very strong in regards to the AI market and I think in regards to modern technology as well, so I think Nintendo, I think uh, wants to do some future-proofing, I think, with their stuff. I mean, if you remember, like, uh, they always remembered uh, relied on, like, on ATIs, you know, were doing, you know, chipsets, you know, before it obviously became AMD and uh, I, think, I think since then, I don't think they've been too. I mean, you know, AMD's cheap and cheerful technology, but I don't think now uh, Nintendo has faith in it basically to kind of like push the boundaries that at least they want to push. And you know, that's quite a, a, quite a statement, I think, for uh, Nintendo. I think to make to say we're going to put Nvidia chips in our devices. I mean, like uh, you know, um, you expect that from Sony, you expect that from Xbox. I mean, obviously they um, work pretty, you know, pretty well with uh, with their gaming systems. But no, this is uh, this is totally different. This is going to be uh, Nintendo uh, also trying to you know uh, say to everybody, look, you know, we're uh, We've got a great game console here, not just cheap and cheerful games, but obviously something that provides performance as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, until we get a Nintendo Direct, uh, we are just speculating these as just simply rumors. We're taking it with a grain of salt. There is rumors that the screen's going to be better and the screen's going to be bigger. You know, uh, so another say that the the OLED version of the Nintendo Switch isn't big in itself. So um, yeah, interesting to see what Switch Two is going to bring to the table. All right then. Okay, so let's go over to our next bit of news. So this is something that I did not expect to hear about. So Saturday Night Live has been around for almost 50 years. It is one of the most influential TV shows of all time in terms of showcasing various skits that a lot of people remember featuring all types of different cast members. And the show is still going on strong even to this day. And lo and behold, we have Jason Reitman, the director behind various films such as Juno and Up in the Air, and who is the son of Ivan Reitman, who you may know as the director of Go. Ghostbusters, he's going to be directing a movie called SNL 1975, which is about the early years of Saturday Night Live. So basically, it's going to be like a you know a, a documentary film, uh, basically. Yeah, was, so, so, yeah, so, yeah, I guess you could say that. Yeah it's, yeah, it's it's kind of like a biography of like the early years of Saturday Night Live. So you're going to be seeing like people performing as various characters. Um, you know, there's going to be like you know the early um, cast members of SNL. So you you know you're going to have somebody perform as um, Dan Aykroyd, Chevy Chase, Garrett Morris, John Belushi. Lucy, um, uh, you have uh, Lorraine Newman and various other people. So, yeah, um, as of uh, right now, they did announce who the cast is going to be. I think they're going to have to uh, also, on top of that, I think they're going to be, uh, you know, addressing like, you know, all the historical elements of, you know, um, um, you know, uh, Saturday Night Live. I mean, also they're going to talk about you know, all the comedics, but that's, you know, they're going to have to basically, you know, uh, revisit the death, unfortunately, John Belushi as well. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm sure that that was good. I'm sure that'll be a major part of the movie. It will be, yeah. Like, you know, the way that he went out was very tragic. Absolutely. And, uh, so I think uh, it'd be, uh, if you remember, like, you remember when they did the picture of the uh, the Robin Williams, you know, uh, docudrama? That 
they were doing that, and uh, one of the things that they started off with basically was the John Belushi death, and how Robin Williams reacted to that. So I think um, you know um, that's going to be. I think if you're going to do an SLO movie and you're going to have to talk about John Belushi, you are going to have to talk about you know the uh, you know the life and tragedy of unfortunately of you know this comic. Yeah. So. All right. So here are the cast members that we know of so far who are going to be in SNL 1975. So we have uh, Gabriel LaBelle is going to be Lorne Michaels, who is the creator, writer, and executive producer of SNL. Okay. Uh, we have uh, Dylan O'Brien, who is going to be Dan Aykroyd. Okay. We have uh, Corey Michael Smith, who's going to be Chevy Chase. Ooh, who's Corey Michael Smith in? Um, um it's uh, let's see. He, 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 he rings a bell. Yeah, it says um, he's known for playing as the Riddler in Gotham. Oh, that's what he's from. Yeah, and he was also in uh, the Broadway version of Breakfast at Tiffany's, and he's also been in recent films like Carol, Wonderstruck, and May December. Which oh, very good. Yeah, very good. All right, so uh, Lamorne uh, Morris is going to be played as Garrett Morris. Okay. And um, I'm trying any to find... Any relation? Uh, <laughs> I was going to ask the same thing. Any relation? <laughs> I don't see it as far as I know, but it says that he was in New Girl, which I am familiar with New Girl because uh, that's one of my sister's favorite shows. Um, let's see. Ella Hunt is going to be uh, Gilda Radner, uh, who um, unfortunately had uh, passed away of ovarian cancer in 19, 1989, but... Um, uh, she was a cast member from 1975 to 1980, and um, she was in the movie Annie and the Apocalypse. So sh- shout out to Tim, aka Movie uh, Fan Twelve on um, on Twitter. Uh, you know who we had on the Owl House Season One podcast. That's what actually one of his favorite movies. Cool. Um, we have uh, Rachel Senat as uh, Rosie Schuster. Um, she was known in various films like uh, Shiva, Bo- uh, Baby, Bodies, 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 and Bottoms. <laughs> Um, we have uh, Kate Matula is uh, Jane Curtin, and uh, she was uh, known for being in The Bold and the Beautiful and uh, various shows such as American Crime Story, The Sex of Life, The College Girls, and The Resident. Uh, Cooper Hoffman is uh, Dick Abersall, who was the vice president of, of NBC at the time. Yeah, from the sounds of it, it looks like we're going to get like you know, a really good inside perspective, like what was going on with Saturday Night Live, not just like you know, we're within like you know, behind the behind the set, but also like you know, within the actual studio itself as well. Yeah, and Cooper Hoffman is actually the son of Philip Seymour Hoffman and uh, he is also a, a major actor as well. He recently uh, premiered in Licorice Pizza. Um, then we have Emily Farron as Lorraine Newman and um, yeah I mean Lorraine, she's actually really well known for The Responder, Brokeback Mountain and various other things. So um, yeah I mean I, remember Aaron that um, when we were doing the As Told by Ginger um, reunion livestream podcast we actually had Lorraine in our show. Oh yeah it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, okay, we have Matt Wood. He's going to be John Belushi. And, That's going to be a big role. Yeah, so he was... Uh, I remember him because he was... Um, yeah, he played in um, the original Broadway show of, of SpongeBob the Musical, and he was also in the national tour of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory as Augustus Gloop. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's going to be really interesting. I'm sure that his performance is going to be a major standout considering on who John Belushi was. And yeah, that's so far the people who are going to be in SNL's 1975. So I'm really looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to this as well because, you know, I think, you know, movies like this I think are really important and like because I mean, it's uh, it's kind of annoying when like when you have like things that have been going on for so long and yet you kind of wonder, yeah, I wonder what's going on like in the back and like, you know, where what you know, were the stories that have you know behind, you know, the curtain of SNL and uh, now I think we're going to finally get, you know, where some of those stories now finally brought to us on the big screen. So, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this myself. Yeah, I, and I've been yeah, I 
I have I don't watch SNL like as frequently as I should. I don't think a lot of people do. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, some of the more recent skits have actually been really hilarious. Like Billie Eilish was in one of them, and she was super funny with Kate McKinnon. But then again, I mean, it's Kate McKinnon. You can't do it wrong with Kate McKinnon. I think it was. I think the main criticism of Saturday Night Live is that basically they don't do a lot of like their original sketches. It ends up becoming kind of more you know, like political commentary, or more like social commentary, if anything. Um, Whereas you know, like you know, some of the iconic like you know Blues Brothers, like you know, were skits, and you know, were some of like the other ones that uh, you know kind of came out from like you know the the, the late uh, you know the, the early versions of Saturday Night Live. I think uh, you know still stand out. I think today. Oh I sure, think, yeah. sure. I mean, admittedly, you're right that it doesn't have as much major skits like the Blues Brothers or Wayne's World or anything like that. I understand that, but yeah, I mean, I think that some of the standalone skits that I have seen recently have actually been really funny. Um, I just haven't like really seen like a lot of people talking about it as much as they used to. Yeah, I think you know, they need to do a lot more like um, you know. Um, you know, original stuff like you know which is like it can be commentary like uh, if you want it to be but I think it needs to be kind of less in your face like you know stop, stop bringing back Alan Broadwin as Donald Trump for crying out loud I, I think can... they're taking a break from that uh, exactly yeah but... yeah anyway so yeah so SNL's 1975 it'll be coming out sometime this year all right so this is something that you actually shared to me RZ the Jewel of Faramore what the hell is this? Yeah, so um, limited run games, I think, has caught up on the you know, the, uh, the the small cult following of like you know the Philips CDI games that have come. And uh, by the way, they actually you know you would be surprised like you know what there's people like hanging around with like Philips CDIs in the house. No, it's like it's uh, it's about that some of these games are now like gone online and like can be played for emulators and things like that. But now um, someone actually did take the uh, you know the the Zelda games and they actually did like fix them and actually made you know brought out like the remastered version of like you know the uh, the the uh, you know CD, CDI Zelda games and made them work and made them actually really good. So uh, that's kind of caught on to other people. And so I think Limited Run Games has uh, seen how much of a response there's been to that. And so now we're going to get the RZ, the Jewel of Faramore, which apparently is going to be not like, you know, a connecting, like, you know, um, uh, sequel to like, you know, uh, the Wand of Gamelon and like, you know, uh, the L- other... Link, Link Faces of Evil. Link Faces of Evil. So I think it's going to be like, uh, it's going to be like a spiritual, I guess a spiritual successor, I guess, to like those CDI games. Yeah, so let me just read off the plot synopsis. The player controls the titular protagonist, RZ, who explores the land of Faramore on a quest to defeat the evil Dimor. Hmm. Okay, so yeah, I saw the we saw the. Trailer. I think now, like, uh, I think the jokes, I think uh, that of Arms Philip CD, I think are basically going to turn up to one hundred. Yeah, yeah, we, you can we see saw, it in the cutscenes. Yeah, we we saw the trailer and it looks absolutely ridiculous. I mean, the the gameplay is very similar to the CDI games. The cutscenes are just absolutely <laughs> ridiculously. But that that's the point. I know that's the point. I'm I'm just so shocked that somebody is able to make a spiritual successor to the ZDI games. I mean, here's and the, not only that, they're bringing back the original voice actors who originally were in the you know the, the Philips CDI games. My god! I mean like uh, I'm pretty sure they had a lot of time on their hands to, to go off and do those so. Yeah now here's the thing when you think about like indie developers they do games based off of you know the usual stuff that they played within their childhood. Mario, Mega Man, Zelda, Metroid, freaking Philips CDI games. Yeah. So, uh, but I can kind of understand why they want to capitalize on this. Like, it's coming out this month. It and, is. Uh, it, it's so, good. It's, it's, yeah. And uh, to be honest with you, like, I just out of intrigue, I would actually consider having, uh, giving it a go and seeing what it's like. I mean, is it is it like the... Uh, the the one thing I'll be interested to do is like, uh, what engine are they going to use for it? And actually, are they going to give you the opportunity to like uh, use like the original engine? 
uh, for Philips CDI because the remastered version gives you both like uh, so it gives you both the original like CDI experience and then it gives you the remastered experience where the, it fixes basically all the, all the bugs in the games so you basically can try, you can like try both challenges if you want to so I'm interested to see what Faramore like I'm interested to see how basically how they uh, you know they change the engine up as well like you know do they add more bits and pieces to it and uh, I mean it looks pretty you know like uh, you know faithful to you know the original CDI so we'll have to see but uh, I mean it looks more fast paced and it looks more you know uh, also on top of that as well hand painted background that's, That's awesome. actually pretty impressive, actually. So, um, yeah, I'm interested to see how, you know, colourful this uh, game is and actually how, how wonderful the music is as well. Because that's one of the strengths of, like, you know, of uh, the CDI games, if there was any to begin with, is that, is that you know, the the graphics were actually pretty good and, you know, the the, the music actually was uh, very good as well. It is very, you know, it does, you can't recognise a Zelda CDI game when you hear the music. Awesome. So, yeah, and uh, I'm interested to see if it sounds like something with Hotel Mario. Um, somewhere down the line, but uh, anyway, no, no. no, I'm not too sure. Okay, yeah. So coming out sometime this month, um, the Jewel of Faramore is going to be released in uh, various platforms. It's going to be coming out on Nintendo Switch, PS4, PS5, Steam, and Xbox Series. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm actually they Nintendo announced that for the Switch too. Well, imagine that's the main mention of it. Like, you know, I'd actually be, I'd actually hilariously like to hear, like, in Nintendo Direct, you know, the, the, in the Nintendo New York store, like, you know, when, uh, when I was at the Jewel of Farmore comes on the screen and everyone just starts giggling, or like, yeah, they start cheering, or they start cheering. Like, you know, <laughs> so, you know, some people should do, like, do like Zelda CDI. More for, like, there's the hilarity of the YouTube poops, really, rather than actually the game itself. Oh, so, I just see what reception it gets. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Jeez, oh, it's awfully boring around here, mm-hmm. my boy. <laughs> <laughs> this is this piece is what Rolls all true warriors strive for. <laughs> I just wonder what Ganon's up to. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just, those are iconic lines. I, I mean, obviously, you can't get them in this game because obviously they can't base this on Zelda. No, like, I, but, but I'm sure they'll, they'll come up with some ridiculous lines as well. Oh yeah, they will do. Oh man. Okay, so yeah, coming out this month. Um, Enjoy the memes. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Okay, next one. So this is going to be more on you, Aaron, because um, I'm not too familiar with wrestling. Never was. I, I did have a few cousins who were into it back in the 90s, but, um, you know, I never really seeked it out myself. So Well, give us the headline, and I'll tell you, I'll give you an example of how big this is. Okay, so yeah, we got the announcement that WWE is going to be premiering on Netflix next year. Okay, um, we talked about Saturday Night Live before. You know what? What's uh, what's uh, uh, well, who's broadcasting it right now? NBC. NBC. Imagine if Saturday Night Live announced that uh, we're exclusively going to Netflix. That that can't be because it's a uh, if it's if it's going to be NBC Universal, it would go into Peacock. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, imagine if they just did it. So this is like you know, Monday Night Raw has been a American you know uh, staple in you know in American TV for nearly you know three maybe even four decades at this point. Like you know we all remember the Saturday Night Live main events that's you know we're going to be on NBC and things like that. And you know so um, it would either, you know Monday Night Raw has always made its home on the USA Network or TNN and. Uh, it's even on Spike TV also it's kind of you know ended upon as well and uh, then it is, it's come back to the USA Network now this you know this is a 500 million dollar deal wow that uh, you know this is a half a billion dollars that uh, you know Netflix has struggled with WWE to air their show exclusively and live like keep this in mind this isn't just like you know they're gonna like record some episodes and then you know release them on Netflix that's not how Monday Night Raw works it's always been a live environment that they've always worked with and apparently Netflix is going to honor that and they will broadcast it live on their How? streaming. How? How are they going to do that? They, they can do that. I've never 
never seen a Netflix Look show. Look at YouTube. YouTube Live works. Okay, YouTube Live. That makes sense. But I've never seen Netflix Live. Uh, well, I think they're going to test this out. I think they're going to be... I think this will be uh, Netflix guinea pig like saying, okay, well, there's going to be this show, but it only appears at this time. And uh, then you've got to watch it live. Wow. And then later on, they see it will come out on... It will come out pre-recorded on stream. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, like... Well, I mean, YouTube does it. So, I mean, I guess they probably looked at YouTube and thought, well, let's do this with, like, a major show. And here's this major show. It's Monday Night Raw. Okay. Like, you know, it's a big, massive show. I wonder if I this will get, actually, people to tune into wrestling for the first time, now that Netflix is currently the number one streaming site in the entire world. Well, I think that I think Netflix is... I mean, this is just my opinion on this, but I think Netflix's idea is going to be, will people like live content on Netflix, rather than, rather than like, as a, you know, rather than on-demand, like, they're, they're in a situation where it's like, here is this premium of this show and it's live and it's at this time and this is the only time you can watch it. That's crazy. And like, uh, I think, you know, where Netflix, you know, was like, uh, we're, we're going to experiment with live TV. <laughs> like, no, you don't say. <laughs> you mean that thing we've had, like, you know, since, you know, the 50s? <laughs> but, you know, that's, you know, this is the thing, uh, you know, WWE now now isn't owned by Vince McMahon anymore. And by the way, you know... Uh, we, I mean, who owns it? I mean, uh, well, TKO Group owns it. So the same people who own UFC. And so, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so uh, there's this, uh, I think it's, um, so TKO Group currently right now owns the WWE. Okay. And, uh, you know, we're right now, um, so all those people right now are in charge, and uh, they're finding out right now, as anyone who's been following, like, you know, the Vince McMahon allegations to realize there's some really terrible stuff that's happened in this company, and, oh, now, they're no. trying, and now they're in charge of cleaning it up. Yeah, so, if, oh, yeah, very similar to Activision Blizzard, in which all the stupid crap that Bobby Kotick did to his team, regarding about, like, firing a bunch of people. Well, that was before Microsoft bought no, it. No, no, I know, that's what, that's what I'm saying. So, yeah, it's like all the stuff that's been happening with, um, you know, all the people, it's like, yeah, apparently during WWE's uh, with um, Vince McMahon, ruling it's like yeah. it's like that time in the Simpsons comics when uh, you know Krusty like buys back like you know his uh, his um, um, his like daycare business and then he walks in and realizes like everything's like all smashed up and like there's babies like crying and pissing themselves <laughs> all over the place yeah it's like uh, I think uh, it kind of reminds me of that but uh, yeah so but you know going back on to you know the story that we want to focus on is that Netflix right now is going to be doing live events and so um, I mean this will and the first thing that they're going to try and do is WWE. So, um, it makes you wonder, like, you know, what, I mean, if Netflix is going into, I mean, yeah, people debate whether, like, you know, WWE is actually sports or whether it's entertainment. I get that whole thing as well. But uh, here's the thing. Um, Are Netflix now going to say, well, if WWE, you know, flies off, what else could we do? Could we do NBA? Could we do NFL? Could we do this, that, the other? Could we do do soccer? Could we do this? Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, when I think of Netflix, I don't think of, like, watching it for sports. I think of ESPN, which, you know, is on Hulu, or I think of, um, you know, like the Olympics, which is on Peacock, or I think of CBS when it comes to the Super Bowl. So yeah, like Netflix is not something that I would see for sports. Yeah, so um, it's going to be interesting to see how well this actually does. I mean, if uh, if Monday Night Raw does really, really well on Netflix, like we're talking like trending, like on Netflix, I would be, be fair, you know, the millions of people who still faithfully tune into wrestling, I mean, I would say, you know, um, I still think it would do pretty well with Netflix figures. I mean, like, look, I mean, how many people do you know so like, some is Netflix? Like, you even got a Netflix subscription yep, for a I, I've been, I have had a Netflix subscription yeah, exactly. for a very long time. Yeah, so it's very interesting to see when this, fi- when Monday Night Raw finally goes on air, 
there and everyone gets the chance to see like you know, Roman Reigns and Cody Rhodes and uh, you know The Rock. Oh, oh yeah, The, the let, Rock's the big thing. Yeah, let, let's talk about that. I know that we're going to be deviating from like the whole announcement, but we've already covered it. So let's talk about so two major things that we saw this week when it comes to the WWE. So yeah, you're going to have to explain the whole Cody Rhodes, Roman Reigns, Rock thing. Right. So um, right now they're doing a storyline where Cody Rhodes. I mean, he lost the last three years WrestleMania because and so a lot of people are expecting him to like you know uh, get to the point where you know his dad was where you know he was became the WWF WWE champion and uh, he lost to Roman Reigns okay. and Roman Reigns retained now he won the Royal Rumble recently to basically get another shot at uh, facing Roman Reigns at WrestleMania there's one problem though is that uh, um, The Rock came back and uh, so Cody Rose has basically been on this emotional story of uh, trying to get to become the WWE champion the main event WrestleMania and, and beat Roman Reigns that was the plan, and now The Rock has come back, you know, because now he's actually one of the board members of TKO Group, and uh, he's actually now got the, not only that, he's actually got the naming rights and control of his character on the show, so he owns now his whole character in uh, TKO Group, you know, for, for WWE, which, you know, this is what Hulk Hogan had back when he was Hollywood Hogan back in WCW, he got to, to, he got to decide what his character was, what he did on the show, and who he lost to, or who he won to, or whatever, and uh, he got control of that. And if he didn't like anything, he basically would say the famous line, that doesn't work for me, brother. And uh, so The Rock now has that control. And what he's done is that uh, he's now shoehorned himself into the feud with Roman Reigns. And so Cody Rhodes had to basically hand his WrestleMania main event to The Rock. The guy who's like, spent like you know the last two years you know, earning at that. And here comes The Rock comes back out of nowhere and basically says, no, I'm going to be the guy who faces Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. What? I know. And the online backlash has been immense. So, um, WWE on the YouTube channel had to delete the original video of like Cody Rhodes actually handing his WrestleMania main event over to Roman Reigns and then Roman Reigns rock out the face off and then he walks away all feeling sad. Wow. Yeah. That's that, gotta suck. That, no, no, that video got 500,000 dislikes. Wow. And so they took that version off. They put another version on, cutting that bit off, and nearly have like the Rock and Roman Reigns face off, and that's still gaining dislikes. That's crazy. I know. We're, think, we're t- think about that. Dwayne Johnson, you know, beloved actor, you know, um, in- influential speaker on, and, you know, influencer on social media. Everybody loves him. And then he walks back into the WWE and he ups, he does like the uh, most awful thing you could potentially think of to Cody Rhodes. And then he basically gets universally disliked. That's awful. This guy once was considered running for president. Yeah, not a good move. No, not really. Okay. So, WWE now have got to figure out how to figure how to fix this situation. I and mean, like, can you just like you know can couldn't Roman Reigns like beat The Rock or something? Uh, well, I mean, he, he this is the thing he might do. You know, like this is what I think what a lot of people are also worried about as well. Like this might just be The Rock putting over Roman Reigns again. Like you know, where he's just like this superhuman that can't be beat. Effectively, and, like he. By the way, Roman Reigns has been WWE champion for years. Okay. So, like, uh, um, I mean, usually the average champion will last, like, in about a couple of months mm-hmm. at this point. So, um, yeah, it's, like, it's upset a lot of people. That's, you know? that's, really, so, that's really sad. Yeah, and uh, so Cody, effectively, is basically going to get, like, you know, the second best title from the sounds of it. He's going to have to face Seth Rollins, effectively, for a championship that's only lasted, like, a couple of months. Okay. You know, so, like, it's, uh, yeah, there's, um, there's a lot, you know, WWE now are in a really terrible situation because The Rock's come in and with little to no fan, or, you know, some fan there, but not enough like to, ju- to 
basically, you know, uh, challenged Roman Reigns for the WWE Championship. And then you've got Cody Rhodes, who spent years working. By the way, he worked a uh, once worked a WWE main event uh, with a torn pectoral muscle. And, uh, you know, that's how much dedicated uh, Cody Rhodes has been to the WWE. I, I, just, yet, I just want to give him a hug, man. I think everybody wants I think you won't be the only one. I think everybody wants to give him a hug. I mean, I don't even know the guy and I want to give him a hug. Yeah, and uh, so um, this, unfortunately, is the, the problem that WWE now have got. So now they've got, they got the Rocket Roman Reigns at WrestleMania, which, you know, a lot of people don't want to see and is very polarizing. And then you've got Cody Rhodes, who effectively is basically going to be getting the second best championship match. Uh, and not getting the main event. So, what do you do in this situation? Because it's... Uh, I mean, the only thing I could see that they could do to salvage the situation, this is what I would do. Um, I would make it a four-way elimination match. You have Roman Reigns, The Rock, Cody Rhodes, and Seth Rollins. You make it a four-way elimination match, like at WrestleMania 2000, and, uh, you know, you have basically... You know, you get rid of, like, the other world championship, and you basically make it, like, you know, a unification match for the WWE championship, and then you give Cody Rhodes his, like, you know, his his WrestleMania main event win. Sure. That's what I would do. Yeah, yeah, do that. Clean off the mess that you essentially were trying to say, oh, here comes the surprise twist. Yeah, also, Seth Rollins is injured at the moment as well. He's working through an injury. So, like, you know, in that match, you could, you know, you could knock Seth Rollins out of the ring. He can recuperate and, you know, get to an opportunity where he can get back in the ring and do a few more you know, a few bits and pieces. But, uh, I mean, yeah, I would say a four-way elimination match is right. the best way to get to get through this situation. All I right, think. then. Yeah. All right, and the final bit of news for WWE that we did see this week is that John Cena has announced that he wants to retire at the age of 50. And not only that, he's uh, trying to uh, get um, WWE to host WrestleMania in London. Wow. And that's where he wants to retire. That sounds great. You know yeah. what? I mean, I don't know anything about wrestling too much, but if we ever get an opportunity, we should go. Yeah, I mean, I think AEW have like done like you know wrestling shows at Wembley Stadium, and so they've like have done like the massive stadium shows already. So they have beaten WWE to the punch in that regard. But uh, I mean, I think you know the fact that WWE would go to Wembley Stadium or go to the Wembley Arena or go to somewhere in, in the UK. I mean, they've already done Cardiff Arena already. They've done the Millennium Stadium, so uh, that, that's one thing they've done. Um, whether WWE would go to, uh, you know, if they could do even bigger than that, who knows? But uh, it'd be interesting mm-hmm. to see uh, where if, w- if if John Cena gets his wish that he wants to retire at fifty years old and he wants his last match to be at WrestleMania in London. Now, that'd be interesting to see if they can get that. I think pull that off. Yeah, and, and so. to be fair, I mean. I think that uh, 50 is a little bit pushing it, considering that wrestlers, their bodies tend to wear off a lot. I mean, well, I mean, uh, I mean The Undertaker retired at, like, you know, 50-something years old, so... Uh, I mean, here's the thing, you know, I'm more following, like, towards, like, baseball, and usually... Well, wrestlers last a lot, bit, a lot long, longer in some Exactly, places. exactly, but here's the thing. The average baseball player retires e- easily at the age of, like, 35 to 40, and they... And- well, soccer players do that as well, so, uh, I mean, that, that's the thing, but... Uh, I mean, mind you, like, you know, wrestlers do retire young, but then they find that so they want to, like, do another, you know, have another run, and then they miss the road, and so they will go back on the road again. You know what? I give major kudos to that. Terry Funk won the ECW title at 53 years old. You know what? I give kudos to that, you know, because um, boxers are the same thing. Where you have somebody like George Foreman, who retired at a very young age, then he came back, like, around his 50s, a lot older, a lot heavier, and he essentially won the, the title belt. So, you know what? I mean, 
I give credit to all the people who do sports for a living. And even at the middle age that people are reaching in, they still want to do it. It's like, you know what? Good on you. I, I personally could never do anything like that. But you know what, John Cena? I mean, you would have a really good run if you're able to go off on a high note like that. Okay. All right, so yeah, let's go over to our um, next bit of news. So yeah, um, so Pixar has made the announcement that they are finally going to be releasing more movies into the theaters again after the pandemic. So Soul, Luca, and Turning Red are coming out in theaters. Soul is currently out right now, and then Turning Red will be following afterwards, and then Luca is last. And so yeah, let's talk about what happened with uh, when Soul was released into theaters. So... Ah, oh, boy. Okay, so you would think that people would be, like, really excited to see Soul into theaters, and they would be, like, just excited for them to have the opportunity to not see it because, well, I mean, let's be honest, I mean, you know, the, the pandemic, we had to stay at home, and, you know, we missed seeing something like this in the theaters. I mean, it looks great. Soul looks fantastic in theaters, and being able to have the opportunity to see it would have been an awesome opportunity, but, well, uh, that didn't really happen. So uh, I'm just reading... um. Uh, this article right here on uh, Deadline, that um, according to the limited release of Soul, it was only able to make about $450,000 in the box office. Well, I mean, let's be honest, this was an experiment. I mean, like, uh, can something that has been on Disney Plus for, like, let's be honest, years, I mean, because, like, when was Soul first released on... 2020. 2020, so, yeah, it's 2024 now, so you're basically releasing, like, a four-year-old movie uh, at this point, and especially in the recent phases, and, like, you know, it's only made $450,000 at the box office. Well, I mean, not surprising, really, because, like, everyone who's had a Disney Plus Subscription's already seen it, and yeah. uh, I mean, it's going to be more of an effort to like you know go out to the movie theater and like see it again. So, like, if anything, this was basically just I think, if anything, you know, Disney probably did this to like see, uh, give it as a measuring stick of like how many people actually who have not got Disney Plus subscriptions are going out to go see Disney movies. Yeah, but here's the thing this is not the first time in which Disney would release their own movies into theaters again, they've done it with. The Lion King, they've done it with Little Mermaid, they've done it with Aladdin. They would do this every few years in which they would release their movies again theatrically, and people would love that. And so Pixar has never done this before. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, no, I'm scratch that. They did. They did it with Toy Story 2 and Toy Story, no, Toy Story 1 and 2 to get people ready for Toy Story 3. Yeah. So, okay, I'm lying. I'm sorry. But, um, yeah, so uh, in this context, they've never done this before. Mm. So, yeah, Soul, Luca, and Turning Red have never been released in theaters. And so they are seen to see if maybe people would even go in to watch it again. Well, $450,000 in the box office is essentially like $318 per movie theater. Yeah, so, like, uh, it's not been a success. But, uh, I mean, I don't blame Disney for trying, you know, to see if, you know, we can can garner some, you know, interest in, uh, you know, some of the movies that's never got an opportunity to be released in theaters and... And uh, so, uh, but, uh, you know, to be honest with you, it makes you wonder, like, uh, seeing what's happened with Soul now, like, uh, I mean, I have no idea what's going to happen with Turning Red. I have no idea what's going to happen with, uh, you know, with Luca. But uh, it does kind of make you wonder, hmm, you know, uh, do, would have they been better off basically just still being like Disney Plus Originals and uh, they just left it at that and uh, then just told everybody, look, you need to get Disney Plus subscription in order to watch these movies. Yeah. uh, yeah. So, yeah, Turning Red will be coming out uh, in a few days on February 9th. So mm. we're going to keep you updated on how that turns out compared to Soul. You know, with the fact that, uh, you know, um, what's, whole, what's happened with Soul, um, I don't know. I'm not feeling too confident about it now. 
So, uh, I think they probably should have like, started off with one movie, maybe, and then see how that went. I mean, uh, who knows? Maybe I might be wrong, Mike. You know, maybe the, the Turning Red might come out, maybe it might be a success. You know, uh, but um, I don't know. That doesn't give me too much confidence. Also, on top of that, like, uh, I don't think there's been all that much promotion, I think, uh, for uh, for either Soul or for Turning Red. You know, the fact that these are going to come into theatres. So, um, yeah, it's been kind of getting very quiet in regards to all the, you know, the promotion. That exactly. Is I, I, Disney, what is going on? What What is the deal with not promoting your stuff? Yeah, like, you know, where's the ads? Where's, like, you know, where's the billboards? Like, uh, where's the, uh, you know, where, where's the uh, the umpteen YouTube videos that we have to watch before we actually get to the video we actually want to watch? You know, like, uh, where, 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 where is everybody? I, I don't I don't know. There's the same thing that you did with Strange World. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, they just, I think they just assume that, you know, Disney fans are just going to automatically go to the theater and not be prompted. Uh, know, like, that's not how it works. No, that's not how anything works. Anyway, but yeah, so rough start for Pixar trying to pick itself up after like four years of having all of their stuff exclusive on Disney+. Plus. Yep. Okay, moving on. So I'm sure that for anybody on the internet, you already know who MatPat is. But for those who don't, MatPat is a YouTuber who is known for his YouTube series called Game Theory, where he looks into uh, various video games and he makes theories about them. Oh, wow, what a concept. Anyway, so a lot of the theories you may know him for is that in Majora's Mask, Link is actually already dead. Or in um, Five Nights at Freddy's, the purple guy is the phone guy. There's like a billion Five Nights at Freddy's videos. I wouldn't be too surprised if you're well, lost. Well, you know how serious Five Nights at Freddy's actually is. It's, you know, there's all sorts of theories out there on the internet about all sorts yeah, of Yeah, there's also theories about Minecraft. There's theories about Portal. There's theories about uh, various things. Then over time, he branched out into other theories. Film theory, which is about theories about movies and TV shows, made um, a lot of theories on Disney movies. Especially one about that in Wally, the shakes that people are drinking of are of the dead passengers, or about that um, that Snow White, um, the actual berry that was used to create the poison apple is real. And then there's also food theory, in which he goes over theories about foods, like the preparation of foods and um, restaurants and all that kind of stuff. Like, oh, um, it turns out that medium fries are a hack because they're all they're actually the same size as small fries or that uh, certain drinks are good for you or this is the uh, perfect ingredient for making a burger and then there's fashion theory which is about well theories about fashion about like you know what kind of stiletto shoes can actually crack a person's skull so yeah he's been doing all types of videos for four youtube channels in a span of over a decade so he has announced that as of March 9th, he is going to retire as a full-time content creator to focus on being with his family. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest, like, you know, um, a lot like television series, these things weren't going to last forever. Eventually, people are going to, like, want to move on with things. People are going to, like, want to do different stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, then people have got families that also they need to go back to as well. You know, like, uh, I mean, I, Icarus Lives, who's uh, the guy who, like, does all, like, all the Doom mods and everything. And, like, uh, he recently announced that, you know, he's now the, you know, the father of three children. And, like, he needs to dedicate time to, like, you know, doing, you know, his fatherly duties. Of course. So, I mean, it's just, it's, uh, you know, sadly, you know, things will move on. I mean, it's. Uh, I hope you know. You know, you know, the Aaron Meta show and Old School Lane are going to move on. You know, anytime <laughs> soon. I'm hoping that you know uh, we'll continue doing what we do because what we have right now is very special. And uh, but uh, I mean, with other people, unfortunately, you know, they have to move lives. They have to you know um, do different things. And uh, you know what they did before. You know, keep this in mind. A lot of people who like you know back in the uh, the uh, the first eras of YouTube. You know, some of the people that were doing it were either hobbyists or like you know people just got out of college or people. 
were just like, you know, weren't really know what they were doing with their lives at the time. So he's kind of like, he was just there to pass the time to like do reviews and like, you know, do videos like on different stuff or do vlogs and everything. So like, uh, you know, there was, there was that. So, um... You know, um, unfortunately, you know, these YouTubes aren't going to last forever and eventually they're going to move on. And by the way, you know, um, as someone who, like, you know, used to post stuff to YouTube and then just got sick of, like, how, you know, the algorithms and, like, how, you know, uh, YouTube kind of treats his, treats his content creators and everything and someone who just had enough, like, you know, there is an element of that too. Absolutely, know, so, yeah. yeah. I mean, imagine having to be a person dedicated to like eight to twelve hours a day, writing scripts, editing scripts, coming up with the next idea on a weekly basis for over ten years. It's your job. Yeah, it is essentially a job. It's not used for fun. It's not used as a hobby. It's not used as a passion. It is just as much of a job as being in an office or being at a retail store or being at... um you know, anything like it is a job that you have to dedicate yourself because YouTube is a very tough platform to perform in because YouTube tends to have a lot of trends. People follow in a lot of trends and sometimes even like things that were popular back then are no longer popular now and you have to change with the times. Like it used to be, you know, like 15 years ago, everybody was copying off the angry video game nerd and they were making a whole bunch of like reviews where people were just like yelling at a camera, talking about various things that were nitpicky and you know, that kind of style is not popular anymore. People are more into analytical videos that last for like six to 12 hours or, you know, even things that are like much more quicker. So yeah, it's either that you have to go along with the times or you're just going to have to, you know, go through a, a ch an ever-changing algorithm. And then there's also the YouTube policy rules. Like, okay, you, you can't um, do this particular song for more than a few seconds. You can't show a movie or TV show clip for more than a few seconds. Oh, um... We've, we found something that was in third party. Uh, we have to, you, you know, you didn't properly um, credit this person. Uh, you have to take it down. Otherwise, we're going to cease and desist you. So it's a lot to handle. And, you know, somebody like MatPat, who's been around since like 2009, when he first started posting his game theory stuff on ScrewAttack, then he got noticed and then he started doing his own YouTube stuff and he just blew up and having to consistently do not only game theory, but three other channels on top of that with already, a, with over millions of subscribers, that's got to be a lot considering that he's married. He now has a four-year-old son and, you know, he has to constantly do all of these work at a consistent basis. I mean, it's tough. It's really, really tough. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he's saying, by March 9th, I'm no longer doing it. I'm going to quit. You know, good on you, Matt. I mean, if you are if you want to just end it on a high note, focusing on your family, as opposed to just being canceled, like a lot of other YouTubers who did a bunch of stupid shit, or said a bunch of stupid shit, then you know what? End it on a high note, and people will fondly remember you for it, as opposed to, like, looking back on you and saying, ugh. I mean, if it just stops becoming rewarding, and, uh, you know, you're not real, you're, you're wondering why on earth are you doing this, you know, I think you've got to ask yourself some questions about, like, you know, why are you doing this? Exactly, so that's yeah. That's what he's done. Yeah, and you know what? Good on him. Good on him for knowing when to quit. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, March 9th is going to be his final video that he will ever post, and he's going to be doing this huge celebratory live stream with all of his YouTube friends, and just ending it on a high note. So you know what? Congratulations for that. Yeah, and uh, you know, uh, and by the way, you know, like he might say this is his final video, but you never know. Like uh, he might decide, oh hey, I'm uh, gonna probably do like a one-off. So uh, there's all that possibility. I mean, as well. sure, maybe. I mean, he maybe he'll even do it like maybe a few videos every once in a while. I mean, you know, I mean, you never know. Yeah, because you know, like, uh, oh, maybe I'm wrong. Like, you know, where uh, everybody, like, you know, who says that they do their final, you know, uh, pro projects, you know, uh, and goes off into the sunset, always seems to go off and retire. Right, Miyazaki. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, pretty much true. Yeah. All right. So this is actually pretty interesting. So there is a new PC game out called Pal World, where it's essentially this huge open world game where you get to collect a whole bunch of monsters, fight off monsters and explore a massive place where you get to be able to be alongside with your monsters. I know that this sounds very familiar for people who have played Pokemon, and so much to the point in which Pokemon, the Pokemon company, and Nintendo want to possibly look into Pal World to see if it's just close enough to the Pokemon formula to do a cease and desist. Yeah, and to be honest with you, it uses AI-generated content, and I hate it. <sighs> okay, now here's the thing. There are some people who are actually praising Pal World, saying, oh, this is the Pokemon game we should have had, but no, you have to understand that... Pal World was um, essentially like created using some parts of AI elements. And um, from what I've read from various reviews like Polygon, they say that it is actually really janky. But um, but at the same time, um, people are saying that it's actually a great survival adventure where you get to collect monsters because, I mean, here's the thing. Pokemon Scarlet and Violet is a very buggy game. And it is still buggy as of the making of this podcast. And people are just really upset that a game franchise that they grew up with for almost 30 years is not adapting to the times. And they're thinking that Pal World was essentially their solution. And in some parts, it is. I mean, it's an open world game. But in some parts, it's also pretty buggy. And some of it was generated with AI, which we're not a fan of. And so... I think that Pokemon Company and Nintendo, I don't think it's enough of a proof saying that this is actually based off of a Pokemon clone. I think that there are some parts of it that kind of stand on its own. Yeah. Well, I think, because uh, uh, isn't the idea that, you know, you can, like, basically create, like, any, like, monster you want, I think, uh, is that the, uh, the whole I, I, thing I guess that's, it? I guess that's kind of what it is. It, it mostly focuses on, like, dragons, as opposed to, like, in Pokemon, in which, you know, you have, like, plant creatures and water creatures and electric creatures. I think this is more of a dragon dragon kind of game which okay. i mean it, it's like dungeons and dragons it's like your typical fantasy game but you know it just has like a whole bunch of dragons you can collect and and it's kind of like monster world in a way in which like you know you go around into open areas you fight off dragons you collect things so you can be able to a- increase your armor and your stamina and your stuff and then you go fight more dragons so it leads a little bit more towards monster world than pokemon even though there, there is collecting more than just fighting them off and killing them but but yeah. yeah, I don't think I don't think that's enough to like. I guess everyone's enjoying making porn of it. I think that's uh, one thing. I get it away from me. Yeah, get get I, I, get get that away from me. I know, but uh, at the end of the day, like uh, it's just it's um I I I I don't know what to make of this. To be quite honest, I, I'm confused. I mean, on the one hand, I think this is a cry for people saying we love Pokemon, but Pokemon are not adapting to the times. And then there's the other side in which is saying like. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, the the stuff that you are getting is not that great. And I guess for people, it's like, well, it's better than Pokemon right now. So, again, I don't know what to think. I don't know what to make of it. Yeah, I don't know what to make of it either. But uh, the fact that, you know, uh, it's um, some of it was AI generated as well, which I think just makes me feel uncomfortable because, like, um, you know, um, you know, we've all, like, understand how, you know, AI shouldn't really be used for this purpose. You know, where we should, you know, people, real creators basically should be working on this type of stuff. 
And uh, so, yeah, that's uh, that, that kind of makes me feel uncomfortable about yeah, it. Yeah, really. and, and the fact that, um, yeah, so Nintendo, Pokemon Company, don't put all of your energy into this game. Just don't. Why don't you put all of that energy into making a good Pokemon game so that people don't look into a sketchy game that has similar ideas that is overtaking your competition? Why don't you create a good game? That way people can talk about you again. So, yeah, don't waste your energy on something like this. It's not worth it. Mm-hmm. And finally, so this is something I never would have expected. Okay, it started off with a simple tweet from Elmo's Twitter account, where he said, Elmo is checking up on you. How are you doing? And everybody basically said, I'm not doing good, Elmo. I became an adult. (laughs) (laughs) That's what's wrong with me. (laughs) Yeah, so like we got like uh, quotes from people saying, you know, oh, I'm in this job and I'm miserable and uh, I'm basically, you know, basically, you know, uh, some very genuine like things. And uh, to be fair, like, you know, the following tweet that Elmo put out, you know, um, saying that, uh, you know, oh, it's important that you you ask, you you get asked, you know, if you're okay. You know, like, to be honest with you, fair reply to Elmo because if also Sesame Street for doing this because, you know, um, people need to be asked, you know, are they doing all right, you know, from time to time because they might not be. Exactly. And the fact that, you know, it's like a simple thing that, you know, a Sesame Street character would ask. You know, like, they go into social media and they talk about, like, you know, I learned about this today and we're going to be talking about this. I mean, Rosita, one of the Sesame Street characters, has a father who was a war veteran and they were talking about the importance of dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. And, you know, you have Elmo who is going through his fears of, like, being afraid of the dark, taking care of his puppy and stuff like that. So, you know, like, things that little kids can be able to comprehend but, you know, adult enough so that people can be able to understand and, you know, they can talk to their kids once they finish watching it. But then when social media came along with Elmo just talking about, like, various things, people just literally opened up. And he was even on Good Morning America and the Today Show responding to all the tweets that he had received about people talking about their inner feelings, their traumas, their depression. I'm just shocked that they were able to share all of that with essentially a character that's supposed to be three years old. Yeah. And uh, apparently, uh, so um, also there was an incident that happened like when he was on the Today Show when he was being, you know, he was basically being uh, um, assaulted by, uh, I think. Uh, so La- yeah, Larry David, who you may know as one of the creators and writers. Oh, yeah, Larry David attacks Elmo on live TV. Yeah, so let's, let's, talk, let's talk about Larry David, shall we? So you may know Larry David. He is one of the creators and writers of Seinfeld, and he is the main showrunner and the main actor of Curb Your Enthusiasm. So. Yeah, he actually said something during the Today Show that was interesting. Oh, boy, where do we start? Okay, so I guess uh, let's bring into context. So I guess with Larry David coming into the Today Show, I think that he was, you know, promoting... (laughs) (laughs) So I'm painting a picture of it. My God. Okay. Okay. Moving on. So, yeah, I think that the reason why he was on the Today Show was because he was promoting the final season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. And so we have Elmo coming in, talking about his Twitter responses and, you know, basically like sharing to people. And so you have Larry David sitting down next to Elmo and sort of squeezing his face. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I don't know what the context of that was. I mean, like, does he actually tell you why, why he did it? I've only seen the clip. I didn't see like any of the build ups towards it. So I've only seen the Yeah, it just, it just said it. that he was, you know, they were conducting the interview and he just started squeezing his face. And then Elmo responded with, Mr. Larry, Elmo liked you before. 
And then he just said, let's get back on the couch and start talking about how you're feeling. And then, um, you know, um, we have uh, one of the news reporters saying, Larry, you've gone too far this time. And then he said, somebody had to do it. Like, mm. did he really hate Elmo that much that he would just squeeze off his face? Yeah, so uh, apparently um, he did go on uh, Late Night with Seth Meyers, and um, actually he's watching, watching the clip right now, so uh, tell you what. Um, so pause the video for a second. Pause the video for a second, actually. Uh- All right. Okay, so we just finished watching the clip of uh, Larry David being interviewed on the Seth Meyers show. So apparently he didn't like what Elmo had to say about mental health. And by the way, we didn't actually see the whole interview clip for, for Elmo either. So uh, but so we, so we apparently he got so sick of it, he got up and just throttled him. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess when you have somebody talking about mental health, and here's a guy who's promoting the final season of his TV show that's been running for a very long time. I guess he was just like getting so overwhelmingly sick of just like this squeaky voice talking about how important mental health is like. He was just saying to him, shut up already. Yeah, and, and uh, but I think, uh, you know, um, I'm wondering, like, you know, are people turning on Elmo at this point? Like, Elmo used to be, like, really beloved. Like, yeah. you know, he had documentaries and, like, you know, he had, like, you know, albums and, like, uh, yeah, not, you know, he, had, he was the one, like, character that everyone was looking forward to looking at. I mean, we're, so. we're, we're, yeah, we're talking about a character that was beloved throughout the 90s. We're talking about, like, all the, the, the toys, the spinoff series, Elmo's World. He had the movie Elmo in Grouchland. We're talking about the documentary that he, that Kevin Clash was uh, talking about his life as Elmo. I'm, I mean, I, here's the thing. Like, as somebody who grew up with Sesame Street throughout the late 80s, early 90s, when I saw that when Elmo was getting popular, I was like... Yeah, I mean, he's cute, but, I mean, he wasn't, like, a Muppet that I really uh, attached myself to. I mean, I was more of a Big Bird, Grover, Bert and Ernie, Cookie Monster, Count fan. I I loved Harry. I loved Prairie Dawn. But, yeah, Elmo was somebody who was, like, in the background. But, yeah, I mean, when when I... But at the same time, I didn't hate him. I thought he was cute. Yeah. I mean, sure, he was a little bit overexposed in the 90s, but I didn't hate him for that. I wonder if, like, uh, I mean, well, I mean, uh, Cookie Monster was also my, my favorite Sesame Creek character. Oh, and, oh uh, really? I didn't know that. Cookies! <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so uh, and uh, I think, uh, you know, um, I'll tell you what, like, uh, I tolerated Oscar the Grouch for some strange reason. I just thought, like, you know, the idea of him being so miserable was just hilarious for whatever reason. Yeah, sure. Like, you know, I think, uh, I was kind of like, well, if I lived in a trash can, I think I'd be pretty miserable too, but then you finally, uh, you once uh, said to me in one episode, like, you know, he actually likes living in a trash can. He's like, what? Yeah, he's I mean, like, he's got like Eric Cartman in a way or South Park. Yeah, like, yeah, because you know, <laughs> misery is happy and happy is miserable. And it's like what? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What? He's like, he's like, he's like, he's like, he's like one of those weird enigmas in, <laughs> in children's television. Like, will we actually ever fully understand Oscar the Grouch? Probably not. Anyway, but the point is, is that for the both of us, we were pretty old when Elmo became pretty popular. Yeah, and I mean, like, well, to be honest with you, like, even when uh, you know he was still a background character. So I think, you know, we'd obviously left Sesame Street a long time ago from that, from that yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. Like, but, I stopped watching Sesame Street, like, around the early 90s. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, I think every uh, 90s kid, I think, uh, 80s kid, I think, probably did that. But, uh, I mean, let's, let's be honest, mind you, once we left Sesame Street, I mean, like, you know, pre- preschool television didn't get any better. I mean, a.k.a. Barney the Dinosaur. But, uh, so, I mean, uh, be, be honest with you, I would prefer Elmo over Barney the Dinosaur, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, I, compared I, I, to everybody else. So, but, I mean, I don't know, like, I mean, the fact that, you know, I think Elmo did, like, you know, I think a good thing in regards to, like, you know, raising about mental health. I mean, I think that's still, you know, a good, you know, subject to, uh, you know, uh, to, to attach to, I think. And uh, because we don't talk about it enough. And, uh, I mean, whether I agree with what Larry, you know, Larry David did, you know, uh, on, on that morning television show and uh, his explanation for doing it, I mean, like... Uh, 
I don't know, like, um, I just think uh, it comes to me as someone, you know, who has seen people who, like, you deal with mental health issues. I think it came across a bit tone deaf, really, about what he did. Yeah, I think it's just tone deaf. I think it was just, like, he wanted to promote the final season of his show, and it just so happened that he was sitting right next to a Muppet. I mean, it could have been, like, you know, usually when it comes to, like, you know, interviews, they're always sitting next to another celebrity. But in this case, no, he's sitting next to a a character that is made for Mm three-year-olds. And, you know, he's an old guy. He's, like, in his 70s. He doesn't care about this kind of stuff. He just wants to promote his TV show. And the fact that you have this little Muppet character with a squeaky voice talking about, like, mental health, I'm sure at some point he was, like, saying... He could have gone in the green room. I mean, like, uh... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, he could have done a different direction with it. But then at the same time, if you've seen Curb Your Enthusiasm, he actually is a pretty grumpy guy. Yeah, I guess. So, So, uh, yeah, I guess he's... Maybe he was in character when he was doing it, maybe? Like, um, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, but, yeah... The point is, is that Larry David, no. Yeah, well, I didn't agree with what he did. Yeah. But, yeah. Anyway, um, enough about throttling Muppet characters. Let's get, let's let's end the show. Yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, right now, we're gonna go into the spoiler section for the season two premiere of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. So, if you're not seen it, go tune in on Disney Plus or go tune into the YouTube channel so you can be able to watch it. And um, once you get once you're back, then you can listen to our discussion of it. If not, then we'll see you next week. So, take care, everyone. Okay. Um, can we just pause? Okay. Okay, so uh, time to moonwalk the devil dinosaur again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, we um fi- after almost a year of waiting, we finally had the opportunity to see the first two episodes of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur on YouTube. And, um, yeah, it didn't d- disappoint in any single way. So let's start off with the first episode, which is called The Great Beyonder. So the plot synopsis goes as this. Moon Girl and the Beyonder become stranded on a desolate alien planet. The two set out to find a rumored black hole in the hopes of getting home. So if you remember in the last episode of the season, which is OMG issue part two, M- Moon Girl got sucked up into a portal and she was left with being stuck in the portal where Mimi, Devil, and Casey were looking very concerned. So, yeah, let's talk about what happened afterwards. Yeah, so um, the uh, premise of this is is that uh, the Beyonder has lost his, ma- has lost his powers uh, in all of this. And because Monocle Man, who, uh, you know, uh, used to have this, like, intergalactic, uh, you know, amusement park. Yeah, that's a thing. Uh, so, so he basically played... Um, Monocle Man uh, saw the Beyonder basically playing uh, galactic golf and uh, not Comets into his uh, intergalactic amusement park, basically destroying the whole place. So uh, he basically uh, used his wand to uh, create a environment around the uh, destroyed amusement park, saying if the Beyond ever came back, he would lose all his powers. So that's what happened. And so uh, you know, it's funny because the Beyonder has always been a being who's always relied like on his, uh, you know, his uh, superhero super abilities to be able to get him out of a jam or like you know be able to have some fun and mischief. And now he's not got those anymore. And now he has to realize that he has to do things for himself. And and uh, Moon Girl, uh, you know, um, annoyingly has to basically show the Beyonder basically how to live without his powers. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, l- let's give an explanation on who Molecule Man is, since he is the focus on this particular episode. So, Molecule Man first appeared in an issue of Fantastic Four in 1963, where he was a madman that created a giant glass dome that encased all of New York and was essentially, like, using it to pocket to himself. Over time, he became a bad 
bad guy for various people, such as Mad Thing and the Silver Surfer. He came back into being a major villain in the 80s with Moon Girl and Devil, well, Moon Boy and Devil Dinosaur, now reworked into Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, as a major adversary for the Beyonder. So, yeah, I mean, we talked about a character that would essentially be transitioning over to various characters where he fought all, you know, he fought many, um, you know, superheroes like the Fantastic Four and the Hulk and various other ones. But now since then, he has actually become a major adversary for the Beyonder. Yeah. So, um, you know, the Monaco Man is, is the uh, antagonist in this. And uh, by the way, he's more powerful than Moon Girl mm-hmm. in this. And, uh, you know, um, basically, you know, nearly dis- nearly defeats, uh, um, you know, Lafayette and, uh, you know, nearly kills her. And it's only because, the you know, the Beyonder manages to, you know, sneak up on the Monocle Man and take his wand off him that he's able to basically get his powers back and uh, be able to fight off the Monocle Man. Yeah. So, yeah, Mike, but uh, I think the, the main, funny enough, like, you know, the rest of the episode kind of plays out like, you know, a standard episode of, like, I've lost all my powers and now I need to rely on, you know, my own things. And then you realize how much uh, of a you know, pain in the, the neck the Beyond has been for, like, all sorts of, like, alien creatures around the around the galaxy. And uh, so, um, though the, that's not really the takeaway of this episode. The, epi- the takeaway of the episode is that, you know, um, poor Moon Girl is, like, you know, absolutely starts having flashbacks and starts having, like, you know, uh, trauma from, like, you know, the experience of like, having a near-death experience. And she has to live with that. Yeah. And so. So yeah. yeah. Let, let's let, before we go into that, uh, we'll we'll cover more about that in the second episode. But let's co- cover what happened in the first episode. So before Molecule Man shows up. Everybody in the galaxy hears that the Beyonder doesn't have his powers anymore, and they go after him. So the Beyonder did some pretty nasty stuff to pretty much everybody in different universes and multiverses. Even an alternative Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, which is Devil Girl and Moon Dinosaur. So, yeah. yeah, he did some pretty awful stuff, and now... It makes you wonder, like, when we were introduced, like, all these creatures, like, you know, this is, like, this is a pretext, like, you know, all the, other, like, all the villains might be coming back. You that know, that could be a possibility. Maybe, yeah, that could be a possibility that maybe we'll get more development with some of the villains that we're seeing so far. i be honest with you, though, like, you know, Devil Girl and Moon Dinosaur sounds like a very, like, you know, very uninspired, like, you know, where villains to basically... I, it's, 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 yeah, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, it's kind of like, um, you know, um, what was the, um, like, Bizarre you know the weird alternative you know version of superman superman yeah, yeah. or um what was it another example like um batmite which is like this little tiny little uh, uh superhero well not a superhero but kind of like a facsimile of a guy who dresses up like batman because he wants to be like batman mm. so i mean i guess we've had our fair share of like different takes on superheroes i mean we, we literally saw saw across the spider-verse and that has thousands of incarnations of Spider-Man or Spider-Woman. So, yeah, I guess this is sort of like that in a way, except more evil? I'm not sure. But anyway, the, the takeaway from this is that the Beyonder has to learn how to be a normal human being or a normal being without his powers. I mean, he's absolutely miserable. His hair is um, deflated and he's not able to do um, his um, normal abilities. He's tired. He's sweating. He's actually feeling what it's like to be normal without powers. And he absolutely hates it. And then Lunella tells him the story that, hey, you know, this is something that we have to go through every single day. And she actually teaches him something. She teaches him how to tiptoe. She teaches him how to do his hair. So, I mean, which is a great callback to um, Hair Today Gone Tomorrow, where she actually cares more about doing hair. Great, um, great reference. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, it's only when Molecule Man shows up that things really, really get good. Where, you know, he's really, really powerful. He defeats Lunella like it's nothing. And she is almost at the brink of death when Molecule Man crushes her with a whole bunch of rocks and basically like takes the rock and essentially makes it into quicksand for her to sink with the exception of her face. And then he almost steps on her. And then, of course, you know, the, the Beyonder, you know, steals the wand from Molecule Man and he gets his powers back and saves um, you know, Lunella. And yeah, I mean, I just think that the fact that Moon Girl and the Beyonder were able to help each other in this episode was actually really great. And uh, I'm really excited about what they're going to be doing for um, Molecule well, Man. The only good nod I think uh, that uh, the Beyonder tries to do is that tries to give uh, Lunella a confidence back and says, oh, hey, you've built this whole machine. Let's see if it works. Yeah, so, exactly. Like, yeah. because when he, when um, the Beyonder tells Lunella about that this place used to be a, a theme park and it had like a whole bunch of of um you know attractions and food and it, it had like a black hole slide then she's like oh let's build a spaceship that can be able to travel at the right amount so that we can be able to get back home and you know the beyonder had gotten his powers back after stealing it from molecule man and turned him into a baby and got him second jello mm-hmm. and you know he could have easily like snapped his fingers and brought her back but no he decided to help her confidence again by saying let's see if this thing works and it does i, I mean until the point in which you know he they finally got to the point in which they reached her universe and so he snapped her back but the, it did work for a while yeah yeah so um i mean we it's, it's important though that you know we'll evil anella like you with the fact that she knew with this uh, i think this thing that i think she's gonna be dealing with i guess throughout this throughout the season so she's traumatized with the fact that she has a near-death experience and she's in this position where she can't explain it to anybody because she doesn't want to give away the fact that she was moon girl or even like you know what to worry her grandparents either sorry grandmother either and like you know the original moon girl so um you know she's left in this uh, you know really horrible situation, he's like trying to cope for herself, and uh, you can tell once we get into the second episode that she doesn't do a very well, jo- very good job of it. She feels very insecure about herself. I mean, it makes a lot of sense considering that she was fighting off this intergalactic being who had a, a you know immense amounts of super powers and was you know the first true test of her defeat. I mean, we, we got this in OMG issue one and two, where she was defeated by the scientist and the, her lab was destroyed. But this is taking it to a different level where, yeah, she was completely thrashed. She didn't stand a chance whatsoever. It, she tried fighting to the best of her abilities, but she didn't even lay a scratch on him. And, you know, it, it was like he even said to her, you know, I, I didn't I don't even need to use my powers to defeat you. So that just goes to show you about just how absolutely threatening he was. And so when he when uh, Moon Girl finally gets back to her dimension and reuniting with Mimi and with Casey and uh, Devil, she realizes that she has so much to learn and that she is inadequate with trying to fight off even bigger intergalactic beings that may come in the future. And now we can go over to our second episode, which is Suit Up. Yeah. So um, we learned that, uh, you know, uh, Mimi was part of uh, what they call the, you know, the Hot Tomatoes. And uh, we don't know what the originality of that name is. And uh, if it turns out, we'll probably never find out if, uh, you know, the censors have anything to do with it. But uh, <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, so, so yeah, Mimi meets up with like, her old colleagues from like, you know, back in the day. And uh, they actually tried to warn Mimi about, you know, actually joining up. Uh, with uh, you know, as as Moon Girl is like part of like you know the, the interdimensional travel, and uh, then you know so um, so they basically go out into. Uh um, where is it that they went out into the desert? Yeah, like, the desert, into yeah. Into the desert, yeah. It doesn't specifically say which desert we're actually going. Yeah, yeah, so. it was like Arizomecago. You know, yeah, something <laughs> like that. 
So, um, we, yeah, so she, they make up a lie saying that uh, Lunella was going away to summer camp mm-hmm. in the desert and Mimi was going to be her guardian. Yeah. But in reality, no, they're actually going to the desert to meet up with Mimi's old friends that she knew in college and they took the same science courses together and they're going to make a new suit for Lunella. Yeah. So um, they end up making the new suit, which is like the prototype one. And uh, But uh, the thing is that uh, Lunella, during like the time when she says it keeps flashing back and therefore you know, she keeps like messing up when you know in the test and so she keeps like demanding the suit to be more stronger and like you know more faster and everything like that and so the point where she ends up basically having like you know this giant like you know mass you know this, this giant you know massive metal that she can barely maneuver in and barely do anything in yeah it, it kind of looks like the first prototype suit from iron man yeah which uh, i think is like you know um a good metaphor because you know she's putting like layers all over herself like you know to protect her from insecurities and uh, the feel like you know that uh, she feels too weak and too you know and also inadequate you know to kind of deal with uh, what's going on so you know it's uh it's a good metaphor good metaphors actually being used here you know during this episode yeah I and, I, and i really like um mimi's friends uh, merle and matsuya they're absolutely great I, I knew from the moment that i heard merle's voice i was like yeah that's jack k harry <laughs> i mean it's it's the mother from sister sister of course i know who she is so yeah they, they have great personality matsuya is all over devil and wanting to feed him hot dogs and merle is trying her very best to kind of like um you know, find a way to like make the the perfect outfit uh, features for Lunella. So yeah, everything that it, they're doing for Lunella's new suit is not good enough for her, mm. and she keeps constantly getting flashbacks of her being defeated by Molecule Man, and. Yeah, I think that that's a really great follow-up episode, especially since, um, you know, the fact that we saw her going through all of this trauma from her dimensional travels. And so we're thinking, what's going to happen next? And yeah. yeah. I think, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if like, because this episode, uh, you know, Mimi goes up to uh, uh, Lunella and says, uh, you know, look at that eagle. Like, you know, uh, you know, anything could happen to that, to that eagle. You know, the branch could break or anything like that. But, you know, uh, it's confident because it spreads its wings. Yeah. And, uh, you know, saying to, you know, to... to Lanella, that uh, you know um, your your ability that you are you know is adequate and is enough, and uh, you just need to kind of believe believe more in yourself and uh, mean more in your natural talents, which obviously is her intellect and everything. So uh, you know uh, then um, she doesn't really take it all on board. Ends up trying to test out the suit one more time, and then ends up accidentally making a scorpion like you know uh, gino- ginormous uh, for like one of the rays. Uh, in the factory, and then it raises, wreaks havoc like on the town. So then she has to, she can't defeat it with the suit because it's just, it's, it's not, it's too many layers and too many, too much protection. She can't uh, do anything with it. So she has to break out of it and has to defeat, you know, the uh, scorpion using her intellect, and she manages to get it to, get it to sting itself mm-hmm. effectively. So, um, I mean, I don't know if this is, I really hope this isn't going to be like, you know, um, the you know, wrapping up like, you know, oh, hey, you've had these, you know, these flashbacks and now you've just wrapped up in that one, that second episode. I hope that's not going to be the case. I don't like want that to kind of like be a thing that Lunella's still trying to deal with until, you know, she ends up in a situation where she has to, you know, admit to people like, look, I'm Moon Girl and this is what happened to me. Well, I mean, not only does Lunella eventually have to confess, but Mimi has to confess. I thought that was interesting because it's only kind of remind me. You know, remember when Justice League Unlimited, when um, you know, where Batman met Amanda Waller for like you know uh, the second time, you know, in the bathroom, like you know, which is probably like a very creepy scene uh, when you when you think about it. And uh, then you know, uh, Batman says to Amanda Waller, "Look, if you're going to expose me, then uh, why don't you come with me and we'll both walk into the light." It kind of felt like a little bit like that, really, in a way, not like antagonistic between Mimi and you know, uh, no, Lunella, no. but uh, it's sort of like, well, Lunella's kind of saying to Mimi, like, "Well, look, if I have to come out, you have to come out too." 
Yeah. You know, so and, and Mimi doesn't want to come out. She doesn't want to tell her husband and her son and her daughter-in-law that, hey, I'm the original moon girl. Once upon a time in the 60s, I was a scientist and I made this huge portal that um, this other you know guy that was my colleague and my friend was trying to get from me. I mean, yeah, that, that's kind of a big deal to reveal to a lot of people. I mean, the one lesson I really wanted to come out of that is that, uh, you know, where the family turn around to Mimi and say, look, uh, we don't really care what's happened in the past. It's more about like who you are today and uh, so i hope that kind of lesson kind of comes out of that yeah and as for uh lunella confessing i'm sure that that would be a really hard thing for her as well well, I think if she does confess, I think that probably might be... Uh, it really depends, like, because uh, you know what Disney series like at the minute. They either go to, like, two seasons or three seasons, or if you're lucky, they will get a fourth. But, yeah, well, uh, oh, I was, thank you for reminding me. So, Steve Lauder, the executive producer of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, said that they already have written season three. Yeah. It's all a matter of if it gets enough views and if it gets enough um, ratings and popularity that they'll even be able to get a season three. I think Lunella will admit that she's Moon Girl, I think, to her family, I think, when they finally like, end the show. I think because I think you know um, I could probably see a situation where it's like look you know uh, or even might be a case where you know Lanella probably like you know graduates from like you know uh, from 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 middle school and like says like you know oh look well I want to get on with my life now it's outside of being Moon Girl so uh, like uh, I mean you see what direction they go in when she finally admits to her family that you know she's she's a superhero yeah eventually so I mean it's either one of two possibilities that it will end in season two and everything will be wrapped up or they will get a third season it's just a matter about um, you know what the response from the people are and well i mean unfortunately we didn't get a lot of hashtag moon girl and devil dinosaur spoilers on our uh, social media feed and none no. of our none of our friends are talking about it either exactly yeah and so which is a shame really because moon girl and devil dinosaur i think uh, you know does have a lot to offer i think in that regards to that but uh, i think it was uh, you know this is the thing with uh, disney with, with, with disney cartoon shows at the minute i just feel like you know when we had you know the owl house when we had amphibia when we had gravity gravity falls and when we had moon girl and devil dinosaur and when we had the ghost of molly mcgee i feel like that was a, that's a golden age that basically they have and now they've fallen back like you know moon you know sorry um ghost of molly mcgee is now over yeah. so that's now finished and now they've got moon girl Devil's dinosaur they've got big city greens they got kiff and uh that's ha- haley's on it haley's on it as well and proud proud family louder and prouder oh, yeah but louder and, and prouder hasn't really been hasn't really lit the world on fire either unless it's like angry people on youtube yeah but, and then and yeah, then that, um that, that, that's the problem that disney have got they've not they've not got like a flagship show they do it's big city greens that is currently airing its fourth or fifth season. Yeah, but when was last time like, you saw Big City Green spoilers training on the... Like, it's on not the it's not a show that really demands for spoilers. Exactly. Like, you know, you need that big epic show. And It's uh, not supposed so, to be, though. But I know, but that's the, that's the problem. But Disney don't have that at the moment. No, they, they don't. And they need it. You know, like, you know, at this point, I would say bring back the Owl House. Like, you know, if... Uh, or, you, you know, bring or maybe bring back, you know, a spin-off with, uh, with uh, Sprig with Amphibia, you know, to talk about, like, the new continent that they were going like, to discover. Yeah, I, know, I know I've gone on about it time and time and time again, but I ask anybody who, like, I ask anybody who'll say, "Would you like to see more Moon Girl?" And Devil- Sorry, not Moon. Would you like to see more Owl House, or would you like to see more Amphibia? And I guarantee you, the majority of that room would say yes. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think that we should appreciate that Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur is essentially scratching a similar itch to what we're looking for right now. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe it might get better as, as, as it goes along. I mean, is it got us to a good start now? So it has. Like, hopefully the reception will be a lot better once we get further into episodes. Yeah, I agree. And I think that um, there's going to be a bigger stake, I feel. Like, you know, season one, it was a pretty good season. and It, it always w- gets darker in season two. <laughs> of course. I mean, that's... Look at where we are now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Episode one literally starts off with trauma. 
episode two is trying to overcome the trauma. Mm. So, yeah, I'm thinking that we're going to definitely get more villains. We're going to get more um, conflict. We're going to get a lot more things to build up in season two. Whether that um, this will be the final season, I'm not sure. I mean, unfortunately, with Molly McGee, they did have a third season in mind. But then when they were told there weren't going to be any more episodes, they had to wrap it up really quickly. Yeah, which sucks. Yeah, and people liked Molly McGee. Yeah, people did like Molly McGee. Everyone was really into the idea, like you know, the, the last episode, like what you know, uh, what was uh, you know, um, you know, scratches, like you know, backstory and everything like that. Like you know, that was a, it was a it was a great way to end off. Oh, you saw this the episode. People spoiled it to me. Ah, I hate it when they do that. I know, but uh, apparently people were so eager to tell me what it, what was going on. Like, you know, they didn't really think, like, you know, oh, hey, you know, actually, I have a, uh, to be fair, I didn't tell everybody I was watching me, you know, Ghost of Molly McGee, so I only got myself to blame, really. So. Okay, well, fair enough. Yeah. Anyway, but that's beside the point. All right, so first two episodes of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur off to a really great start. I'm really looking forward to seeing what the rest has to offer. And hey, you know, we're going to get more episodes this time, whereas in um, season one, we got, like, 16 episodes this time we're gonna get 24 so we're gonna be talking about moon girl and devil dinosaur for quite a bit so stay tuned cool thanks everybody all right everyone take care